folks and welcome to the daily ratings podcast it's a show where each week we'll sit down with vincent daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching both older films and new releases and don't worry there's no spoilers vince will give a brief review of the movie share some thoughts and of course then rate the film the daily ratings are always fair honest and most importantly they're consistent on today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing seven new released films. They're going to be Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom by James Wan, Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire by Zack Snyder, Anatomy of a Fall by Justine Shrite, Maestro by Bradley Cooper, The Iron Claw by Sean Durkin, Poor Things by Yorgos Lanthimos, and finally, Ferrari, directed by Michael Mann. So it is going to be a packed week, an awesome newly released week, folks. So stay tuned and enjoy. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Hey, Tommy boy, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay with me. How was your How was your past two weeks? How was the holidays? <laughs> a, a whirlwind. And how did these uh, had the seven movies go, man? Seven movies were good. I mean, uh, this is uh, a lot to take on. I was dreading my note refining process just to to get everything ironed out. Just because it was seven movies, but it was also seven movies I had a lot to stay, uh, say about. Like each one of these movies are you had words, huh? Complicated or <laughs> heavy hitters and. Some way, but yeah, I mean, leaving even more on the table. Uh, there's about a good five movies that we wouldn't even touch. Yeah, so. I mean, we were talking about this being a ten and ten episode. Yeah, and then we couldn't find some. Yeah, you threw some off. <laughs> yeah, and I, threw, at, I threw a lot off. Right, and at one point it was six, but then Anatomy of the Fall came out on Amazon. Yes, and we were finally able to actually see that. I was actually able to catch it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, missing from this week, folks, and 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 certainly write in if you want to hear about it. The one that I will really try to circle back with is Zone of Interest. Yeah, uh, getting a lot of buzz and being another feather in A24's cap. Uh, this week, though, the the deliberate cuts though were uh, American Fiction, uh, looking to be a great role for. Jeffrey Wright, uh, The Color Purple, which I never saw the OG. I wanted to do a double feature of the OG in this one. Uh, that would be good. But was another musical. This new one is a musical. I'm not sure why it's a musical. <laughs> um, Boys in the Boat, uh, directed by George Clooney and looks just generic as shit. Boys just, in the Boat? Yeah, it's about like a rowing club. Oh, yes, or, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. I hear it's very generic, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess I wanted to maybe support... George Clooney directing, but I guess he's directed a lot in the past that I hadn't realized. Uh, did he? Uh, I thought he's... Has he directed No, a lot? yeah. I think he's got like a good five titles there, so... Uh, we got Migration, the duck animated film, yeah, and yeah. Uh, Illumination's follow-up to making billions with Mario. Uh, and last but not least, Anyone But You, with a marketing campaign trying to capture every euphoria teen uh, on, yes. uh, on Christmas vacation. Glenn so. Powell, right? In that <laughs> yeah, one? yeah, yeah. I would say the only ones that, because we're really treating this as our wrap-up for the year. Yeah. And I would say the only one, the one missing is Zone of Interest. Yeah. 
and maybe uh, the Jeffrey Wright one. Yes, American Fiction. But I think as far as other lesser award shows go and what's going to mm-hmm. be talked about, it's really just a zone of interest. Sure, sure. And it sounds really cool. So mm-hmm. I think in 2024 that we'll just watch it yeah. because it's I think it's going to be a good movie. Mm-hmm. I think I, I'm comfortable I, with, with – I mean I, I've done a, a pretty decent job at covering a, a wide range of films, especially coming I, up if we yeah. are competing with the Oscars in some way. I know? was talking to you this week and I just mentioned it. It's very annoying. Uh-huh. I, I did the most listening of other people's movie podcasts okay. and reviews more than ever. Just getting ready for the Tom Daly's, sure. seeing what other people are See talking about. Is. One, we definitely have a good podcast for for just two guys on a creaky, <laughs> creaky table that's too small. Um, our podcast is actually not too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but on top of that, everyone, you, you have these, uh, some of these critics mm. that have been around for 20 years mm, or have yeah, been yeah. located in a city for 20 years, 15 years. Yep. Man, to hear them talk out of their ass on one single film and overanalyze and over... <laughs> Just, just overextend themselves on a film. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I listened to three and a half hours of just on just Boy and the Heron. Oh, really? You know, two, three and oh, a yeah. half. Holy two hours on Maestro. I, it's just stuff that it's like, okay, this is just you wanting to talk. Mm. You know, I really appreciate. I just, I appreciate our format of just like we're in and we're out with these films. Sure, and sure. You don't, and holding ourselves down by not doing the spoilers. Yep. Is quite nice. Yes, it's a it's a creative opportunity. It's a constraint that is an opportunity. Yeah, you know, I, we give just enough, but but not overly enough. Where it's just we're just we're psychoanalyzing the director and him putting himself <laughs> in his own movies to to an extent that's yeah. not enjoyable anymore. You know, it's so funny because there's a lot. There's been a lot of uh, dialogue around Boy and the Heron that Western audiences just don't get it. Uh, what it's going for and its uh, sure. metaphors and whatnot and Japanese folklore and symbolism, uh, which I'm absolutely on the same page with you. I think it's too much. You know what I mean? I feel like just watch the film. At some point, it goes it's back watch to, the movie. Yeah, it goes back to very early <laughs> podcast episodes that we just say, you know, just watch the just movie. Just watch the movie. Yeah. This is where, like, I've um, I've looked up, you know, go on YouTube and you try to look up good whiskeys or people tasting <laughs> sure. whiskeys and stuff. Sure. And you have the snobs. Yeah. And then you have the people that really know what they're talking about where it's just like, oh, no, no, no. But if you like Jack Daniels because you you think it tastes good, mm-hmm. drink it, and you shouldn't be ashamed <laughs> yeah, yeah. of it, you know? And that's <laughs> right, where it right. comes to film. Watch the film. If you like it, you'll like it. Yeah, yeah, uh, we'll just We'll just tell you what we think for 20 minutes. Right, or if it's worth your time, or, right. you know, or if it's <laughs> repulsive. <laughs> now, but the other, the only other note I have, just listen to all these other people, is just, it's very annoying, people given the title critic, they have, the amount of films that mm. the American people cannot see, mm. too difficult to see, mm. And the ones that are all being talked about or sure. something. And it's like, oh, the, the amount of people talking about, oh, when I was overseas or when I was in this different country and saw yeah. this film, yeah. oh, I got the invite to this film mm. award or this um, uh, film festival, so I was able to see this. And it's like, well, then I don't care. Like, we <laughs> as people can't see these films, and it sucks. Well, we so, ran into this with Zone of Interest and Anatomy of the Fall. It was very uh, frustrating. Yeah, yeah, especially with Zo- how much hype Zone of Interest is getting. It's in, Christ, it's an A24 film. You know, you think it wouldn't be pulling teeth, you know? I know, I know. But, so uh, just little things I'm noticing. Yeah, so yeah. I think we got a good th- – this wrap-up episode is really taking care of pretty much the films that we just need to. Yeah, and, and, and more I, would, so. I would say if uh, the, the joke list or, or <laughs> I would say the deliberate cut list or from things like Zone of Interest, uh, American Fiction, maybe even Rustin, I feel like I just want to add those to my big list that I occasionally cho- yeah, chop away yeah. at. Because I feel like even in this year, I've effectively gotten to some 2019, some 2020 movies that were on my list forever. Yeah. Uh, and actually got to them and really enjoyed them, even if 
if even with anything, a time between them. I think I think that's where these these stragglers may fall. Is all, and that's fine. And Zone of Venture, I think Zone of Venture is it's being talked about like it might be available come February mm. on a streaming platform. Okay, I would love to watch it then or something sure, like that. Sure, but regardless, which is the Jeffrey Wright one again? Uh, American Fiction. There was that one, and maybe the other one that fell through the cracks a little bit was Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which apparently has a really? good performance. Which apparently has a good performance uh, from. Okay, I remember when that was coming face. out to Q one. Uh, <laughs> I, I intentionally didn't cover it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, folks. So we're gonna do seven this week. Next week is the uh, the big award show. It's the Tom Daly's. Yep. And that's going to be a good time. Vin and I really put a lot of effort into prep and just so we know what's going on. We have a good list or a good idea of all the films that we mm-hmm. watch so we mm-hmm. can actually really deserving films are going to win or deserving people are going to win. Sure. Uh, we definitely did our homework on it. But that'll be that for next week. Uh, you want to get into it right away? Any more uh, We notes? got a lot to okay. cover. So, yeah, let's get to it. <laughs> you want to know what I watched or not? Uh, sure. You can understand. Okay. All right. So I watched three films, which that I told you. Yep. So I watched Ferrari in theaters. Ooh, I watched okay. Maestro. Okay. And I watched Anatomy of a Fall. Oh, nice. Okay, good, good. Yeah. So we won't have to uh, bleed out the bad movies any longer than we have to. <laughs> all, all good movies. So. Let's <laughs> let's start right away. We're going to do, I think what's going to... Flip a coin. I don't know. The first, random number The generator. first two I have on here are going to probably be fighting for some of the worst movies of the year. <laughs> So let's just go ahead and start with Aquaman uh, and the, Aquaman and the last Lost Kingdom, <laughs> the last and the last kingdom by James Wan. Yep. And yeah, let's just get into it right away. How, how did you like this film? And how much are you losing respect for James Wan? As oh, director? my my arch nemesis now. I, yeah. I, I, I didn't think I would have a nemesis, but I, I definitely do. Uh, it's finally here, folks. The death rattles of the DCU and Snyderverse. Uh, just rejoice. Just abs- I mean, I cannot. I'm not even that confident in James Gunn and his Superman movie, but I'm just so excited to see a refresh of this. And and a refresh of the tone uh, of the DCU. Feels like the woes of this film not making its money back were already published before it even came out. Salty water in the wound for sure, but what does it matter? Because the next DC comic book movie that will matter and you'll have to pay attention to is that Superman movie, uh, restarting everything on the DC okay, what's side. The, what's the details on that? Like t- uh, 2025? I don't know, actually, a date. Uh, I don't think we've gotten to Splash Hard in one of the cons or one of the conventions, oh. you know, giving a timeline and whatnot. So uh, James Wan has haunted me this year, <laughs> more than most directors, <laughs> and now he is back again for his... Is Atlantean epic starring Hollywood's favorite jacked moron, Jason Momoa. <laughs> uh, flashback a few years ago, and I would have told you Momoa was honestly the best thing done in the DCU, transforming Aquaman from an absolute joke character. Uh, sadly, his downright idiotic role in Fast X earlier this year shows that he has fast-tracked his acting style into this jokey discount Chris Hemsworth he was always destined to be. Uh, and that's that's really where this fits in. I feel like this movie, more than most, had me thinking of Thor The Dark World, Thor 2, one of the black sheeps of the MCU, for a similar kind of wannabe buddy cop collaboration between Aquaman and... Our favorite. Uh, and a podcast favorite, Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> King Orm or whatever. Uh, in Aquaman, takes on global warming. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 what this is about. 
<laughs> uh, we see a return of nearly every character from the first film. And in addition to the flashbacks smacking you in the face every second, it confirms I didn't need to cover Aquaman 2018 because clearly there are no consequences to mm-hmm. the story. Yep. Returning now to be cucked as the bad guy once again, Black Manta is back through the power of a forbidden trident from the past. Get ready for it. The Black Trident. Uh, maybe it was just, uh, <laughs> I don't know Aquaman lore, and I'll say that a few times. I don't know Aquaman comic books that much. Let me tell you, probably the lamest rogues gallery of villains uh, possible. I, I, that, that makes sense, though. Yeah, yeah. It's just How like, much can you do with it, really? <laughs> yeah. We're going to have a crab general, uh, some (laughs) sharks that we ride on, and the black trident as the MacGuffin. Usually I spotlight some of my comic book knowledge here, but um, again, uh, that villain's gallery is so painfully one note, it uh, it may really turn off some some people from comic book movies forever, so let's hope that doesn't happen with this one. Uh, This trident does introduce the Orichalcum, a dangerous mutating energy source that threatens an already fragile ecosystem system around the world uh, and with motives to destroy everything that Aquaman loves he must turn to his former enemy and brother Patrick Wilson you know I I, I gotta hand it to James Wan him and his ride or die actor Patrick Wilson <laughs> rival even the strongest uh, director actor duos in Hollywood I mean they really are thick as thieves uh, yes yeah, strong poop like strong, poop. <laughs> strong terrible poop. <laughs> not the best comeback <laughs> well what do you, when you say strong what do you mean i mean he does not let him go you know wilson no, they, he, he abandoned the whole franchise just to start the conjuring with wilson so i i, I was not happy was wilson the worst thing ever uh, maybe not he right. plays basically a straight man. But in an ocean of bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, who really can stand out? <laughs> right, right. Uh, Wilson returning as King Orm uh, had pre-buzz around this film, saying it was more of a buddy cop format, but realistically that is just an excuse for Momoa to justify acting like even more of an asshat, uh, with Wilson being, again, the straight man for this. Uh, I really don't like this trajectory that Momoa is on. He's trying to almost fast-track himself what Chris Hemsworth has done on going from action hunk to full comedic actor. I yeah, mean, you look yeah, at Hemsworth totally even in the new Mad Max, he's got like a prosthetic nose, <laughs> and it's ridiculous. But I feel like Momoa is trying to fast-track that, and it is just not working for me at all, uh, whether it's the charm or just the idiocy of yeah, it. Yeah, well, he played the re- like a ridiculous <clears throat> evil magician in Fast X, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he really was the genie. <laughs> he had genie clothes in that. I wouldn't pick Pitch this movie like that buddy cop format, though. When Aquaman works, or I should I should say Aquaman 2, when it works, it is when it is being a capital A adventure film. Uh, not unlike maybe some of the stop-motion Sinbad movies or, or, or these kind of classic adventure films. Uh, there are times that this film works like the Star Wars prequels as well, mm. where half the enjoyment is just seeing crazy alien de- designs on screen and perilous moments moments for our heroes that they have to escape, ultimately. Uh, and I will say as well, the action is really not that bad. Um, uh, even if it's doomed to be compared to a lot of water effects and a lot of water-type of scenes in Avatar 2, um, honestly, I feel like every 
for the next ten years, every underwater film is going to be it's gonna, doomed it in comparison to, to yeah, Avatar it's, Two. It's, it's got to be. Yeah, but uh, everything bad about this comes down to story and script. I mean, really, a just a just an asinine story, and 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 salt in the wound when it comes to. Uh, Momoa's acting, all of this connected to James Wan's usual horror talent awkwardly fitting into this superhero wannabe adventure film. I have a lot of questions this week. A lot of my reviews were just asking myself a question. (laughs) Is this good? Do I like this? Is this all right? Uh, The question for Aquaman 2 is, is it better than The Flash earlier this year? Mm. And I think maybe. I think maybe. But my opinion on this cemented itself when I sat down to write the review and was grasping for anything memorable that didn't annoy me already. We're going to go ahead and give Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom a 38. Wow. Oh, okay. Okay, a 38. <laughs> I mean, it could be way worse, but right. but okay. The CGI had to be bad. You're telling uh, like, come on. The CGI... <sighs> I don't know. Uh, I think in comparison to some bad CGI we've seen from Marvel this year, uh, I lean on like Ant-Man and and, and whatnot, Uh, even the Marvels in some parts. I don't know. I feel like the CGI and how the action is done, it doesn't look terrible. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I feel like a lot of people will try to jab at it, kind of pigeonhole it, be saying it's like, oh, well, it looks cheaper than, than... uh, Avatar 2's underwater right, you know, yeah. graphics, the hair and whatnot. Uh, it clearly is, you know, s- still a green screen set on a CGI landscape. Yeah. But some of these action sequences were not terrible. Uh, and I feel like, again, that's where it kind of captures just being an, an adventure film more than anything. So. Okay. But you know, what does I, I, it matter? I, I, <laughs> we won't ever have to talk about <laughs> it really, Snyderverse Nothing again. It matters. Right. Nothing matters. I almost think they almost should have just scrapped the film and tried to get the insurance money for it. <laughs> but, I mean, because it just doesn't matter so much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't really have much more to talk about it because I really, when sitting down and, and trying to refine the few notes I had <laughs> and kind of grow out the review, I really didn't have a lot to comment on just in the sense that the film is just a barrage in like the Star Wars prequels. Right. It's just a barrage of concepts and uh, trying to be uh, adventure and fun and action and so much of this. And it's just like, it feels awkward just in the sense that I know that James Wan's team is coming from horror visuals, coming from horror right, writing. Right, yeah. And it's just like, it just, yeah, it, it's not, it is not a movie that I would say is worthy of seeing outside the DCU. And now that the DCU is dead, I don't think it's anything worth seeing. It's even so. worth. It's even more pointless. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. All right. So that's Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom with a thirty-eight percent. It actually did better than I thought. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. As far as uh, I mean, box office. Yeah. Was. No. I mean, as far as the thirty-eight percent goes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought yeah. it was doomed for potentially the twenties. Really. No. No. Yeah. I, I, I guess in that way, I, I am the pleasantly film surprised. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> maybe. Maybe go watch it as a as a fun time. <laughs> And turn your brain off. Okay, so let's keep it moving here. Uh, Zack Snyder, who oh is not really a director I ever liked, <laughs> but maybe in one thing. But Zack Snyder said he always had wanted to make a rated R Star mm, Wars. Yep. So now he came out with Rebel Moon Part 1, Child of Fire, which is rated PG-13, because mm. uh, he couldn't get his way with Netflix. Uh, but he got a whole lot of bunch of money from Netflix to make two <laughs> two different space uh, space epic movies, space opera movies. Yep. Like I said, Rebel Moon Part One, A Child of Fire, Vin, 
I don't know. How how did you like it? <laughs> how is this new universe? Does does Snyder succeed in setting up something that could be something? Um, a, a new epic space opera for us to fall in love with. I, unfortunately, I'm going to say a hard no. Okay, uh, <laughs> a hard no on this. This is this actually was the one I was most curious if you even morbidly checked out because I think early I w- on. In the in the week leading up to Christmas, I was like, ah, don't bother with with. Rebel you told Moon. me straight up, yeah, you shit, yeah, you're not a fan of the film. But this is the one thing I knew about walking into this episode. Yeah, the only thing the re- I almost did turn it on just because it's probably such an easy watch. Mm. I could be doing work or something sure. and have it on in the background. But I didn't. I he claims so. Rebel Moon Part Two yep. is coming out in May or something like that. March. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in the summer. Rebel Moon Part 1, the director's cut, which is rated R, is coming out. Oh. And it's, it, that's all very annoying to me. Yeah, Because yeah. his whole goal behind this was to make a rated R Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Couldn't do it yeah. because he was uh, – Netflix kind of stunted him on that. Mm-hmm. But then he's still coming out with it, and it's probably going to be longer. It's, it's Yeah, that's very confusing. It's just annoying. Also confusing, imagine, in in looking that on Netflix's offerings uh, of, of trying to find out where to start with this and right. whatnot with these director cuts. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't it, like that at it's all. shooting itself its foot in a little bit. <laughs> And again, it's just Netflix throwing a lot of money at a big director here. (laughs) So, yes, I'm aware that I don't think you were the biggest fan of it, and I did not watch it. Yeah, and and that's where I was, I was, I don't know, morbidly curious of other people's other people's reception of just how messy this movie is and yeah. how much of a stumble it is as the, at the start of this of this franchise that's being that's going to be blooming so but yeah folks we we go from the last corpse of the DCU to the man that killed it good old Zack Snyder uh, and uh, got to roll up my sleeves for this one because god damn is this <laughs> a messy messy movie only slightly kidding with him killing the DCU uh, because believe it or not i think Zack Snyder is a director I don't love, but I'm rooting for. Uh, I've even come around to some things like Watchmen as, like, acceptable. Okay. Uh, This is the one thing. Watchmen. Yeah, yeah. What what was the movie you were talking about? Watchmen. Okay. Because Watchmen is acceptable in its own weird way. I would Um, say rewatch the first 300 as well, and I think that's the sweet spot. Oh, I forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah. I'll give him that. But see, I rewatch them, and when you're a kid, mm-hmm. like we were pretty little when 300 came out, and it sure. was awesome. Yeah. I don't know. You watch it again. <laughs> Is it awesome? I, uh, I, okay, all right. I don't know. I, I, I still think it's awesome. Watchmen is what I've come around to. And uh, just, yeah. just because of all the that happened with uh, uh, DC and Warner Brothers and whatnot, I, I, just, I find myself kind of rooting for Zack Snyder walking okay. into this. I wanted I, to like Rebel Moon. I don't think he's a very good director, and I think he's better than he actually thinks he is a little bit. He's like a Michael Bay. He's like a bro-y director. Yeah. Like, Watchmen is really easy to hate. Yeah. And I probably only like it. I did – that's like the one uh, graphic novel that I actually read start to finish. Really, really. And so that was a big deal when it came out. It, It, by all rights, is bad, but for some reason I really like it. Not to mention Patrick Wilson is in it. I think. That's right. He's out, man. (laughs) Um, he's oh, a man. tough director, though. Yeah, and I think he thinks his shit stinks more than it does, or uh, doesn't stink more. Than it does. Right, <laughs> right, right. Uh, I, I guess where I come from is is I'm empathetic because of the his, the personal tragedy that happened with his daughter during Justice League. You know, for sure. He, yeah, you know, he sets up everything in Man of Steel. Say whatever you want about it. Uh, he forces things to set up further in Batman v Superman. Say whatever you want about it. I mean it. Whatever you want. 
And then, you know, he passes things to, to WB and they just screw him during this tragedy. So They do. Uh, you know, it, now while Rebel Moon is not his first rebound film, it is his next massive undertaking. Um, in addition to some of that background, Tom, we have this two-part epic. I didn't know about the director's cut uh, yeah. coming out, which is, you know, more in the content pipeline of it. Uh, he has a tie-in comic book series and a tie-in video game on this as well. This is a troubling, a startlingly bad start to <laughs> this much of a cinematic universe being being pumped out by Snyder. Why do people put their eggs in his basket? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I know. You think as the resume of the DCU coming into right, right. another <laughs> franchise like this, you know, you think there'd be some questions, but I guess not. All of this is exciting background for a movie that is a mash of fantasy and sci-fi, but despite having a Around a $166 million budget and such scope, such planning behind this. I am sorry to say this is one of the worst movies of the year. Yeah. This may be. <laughs> this is this is terrible. Um, this movie felt like the highest production YouTube video I've ever seen. Mm, wow. It almost felt like a proof of concept rather than a real film hmm. or a final film, a final draft. Maybe that, you know. Maybe it is. To, yeah, may, maybe that's the director's cut angle. But it's all very con concerning for a franchise, a new franchise, to start on such a poor, poor note. And just real quick, the video game and the comic book, is that Netflix money as well? I would imagine so. Okay, because um, Netflix is slowly, I don't think people even know, Netflix is slowly getting into the video game market. Oh, yes, market. yes, absolutely. And, I mean, they even said they're inches, inches, because mm -hmm. they want to do it right. But we, it's going to get flooded yeah. in the coming, like, three years. I believe what they're doing right now is just buying up a lot of uh, small indie games, and it's all in the mobile uh, marketplace. Mm -hmm. So if you, okay. if you look at some mobile games, you'll see the Netflix logo over the icon of yeah. some of these. So I think just like, They're like a host, almost. I this. wonder if they're going to create, like, they'll buy up these little guys. Mm. The question is, are they going to build out their own massive next kind of industry-leading Game company? Sure. Or are they going to go out and buy Naughty Dog? Mm, interesting. Oh, I mean, maybe, I think the play is, are they going to try to do what Google did and do stream gaming, which is a, mm. an exciting concept, but no one's been able to pull it off. So, you know, to stream a game at its highest quality. Hey, uh, keep on raising those rates. Anything's possible. <laughs> yeah, 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 for real. Yeah, was it going to affect the bottom line? So... Uh, back to Rebel yeah. Moon, though. I mean, I guess it's all Rebel <laughs> Moon. But the universe of Rebel Moon is uh, is very Star Wars-like, and it exists an evil empire that picks on weak Outer Rim planets, uh, which have rebels brewing but lack organization to have a fighting chance. We follow many characters in this. Uh, it's a big ensemble cast, but primarily we focus on Korra, played by Sophia Butella. Yep. Uh, a mysterious but capable stranger living on a primitive farming moon. When one of the head Nazis show up uh, for the tribute one day, uh, this peaceful settlement is spurred into action, sending Korra on the hunt for allies to fight in the looming conflict. There is a heavy section here of, of getting the band together uh, that largely feels disjointed. In the runtime, we cut rapidly to new planet, to new system, uh, and with little to establish our interest there. Uh, so much of this feels like an empty wasteland of a green screen setting. Uh, I mean, characters just kind of 
hang around in edges of the frame, not doing anything during this uh, this segment of uh, getting allies and getting badasses around the galaxy. And As in, like, the extras don't have a lot to do? Uh, more so like they didn't even know what the CGI was going to be, except for the oh. main person that is that they're recruiting right, in right, that given right, scene. Right. In reality, it is to breeze through a single badass moment for each of these members of the squad and get some snapping action. Uh, if anything, I'll give some credit to Snyder wanting to show us how badass they can be, show them an exciting section, but this entire thing feels weightless. Uh, and once again, just disjointed. Disjointed is really the word. Off the cuff, I mean, I, I think that's where I maybe would have some morbid curiosity of a director's cut because I feel like this weightlessness was such a weak starting push, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, a, a weak kickoff to... Uh, what is supposed to be like the hook, the hook for this entire universe? So yeah, I mean, I wonder if it's so bad. What could a what could a rated R version really do? Like up gore a little bit. Up, I, up I'm gore. more excited for well, not excited, but I would be more interested in expanded runtime just to give more context to scenes wow. or more chemistry on scenes. I mean, hence the part two, right? Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> by, <laughs> and by the way, when you say like Nazis, it is just Nazis, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Nazis in space. Correct? Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, of of the blender of influences that this film is. Mm -hmm. uh, Inglorious yeah. Bastards, at least the first scene with the Hans Landon, is absolutely oh, one wow. of them. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very much uh, Zack Snyder taking a lot of what he likes mm -hmm. and putting it together. And that's also kind of plays into why he's referred to as a bro-y director, a Michael Bay style director, <laughs> that he's just kind of taking the things he likes. He maybe has good taste occasionally in right. taking those things. Sure. But it's just smashing it together like a kid with uh, mismatched <laughs> toys, basically. So uh, All of this galactic hopping around though, folks, it, it is just to return to this boring-ass farming planet for and for a fight it, it is ridiculous mm. how weak the stakes are in this kickoff i mean i feel like we really needed a lot more of a hook just in story wise of why do we have to rebel and, and you know i mean beyond this just this little thing it just feels so weightless it felt so painfully uninteresting in what should be the fun part of the movie this getting back the band back together getting uh allies we see fun little action scenes of how they're introduced all of it just feels incredibly weightless and, and just doesn't connect. Folks, we, of course, get plenty of Zack's trademark slow-mo action. Uh, speaking of 300 and, and literally every one of his films. But this film has a new blemish, unfortunately. A massive zit on its face, honestly. I mean, really, a, a almost an unavoidable disgust on screen. <laughs> <laughs> that is just... I, I just, I, I don't know what he was thinking. Uh, Zach has developed his own camera lens, which uh, makes the focus of the camera intentionally blurry to everything in the background. The best description for this is a very harsh, and I really mean harsh, depth of field where it barely lets us see anything but the main focal character. Uh, this makes even hmm. the simplest of shots hyper-focused on one figure and anything and everything in the back completely unrecognizable. I mean, it is sh smeared in a way that so blurry that you couldn't even tell what a background character would look like. Really? Um, and it is so 
god ugly. It is it is so distracting. <laughs> this, yeah, this and sounds, almost like nausea inducing uh, in certain scenes. It sounds like a terrible iPhone filter. Yeah, it's just so bad. I mean, uh, by far it looks the worst in one-on-one scenes simply because there is so much of the background smeared into a mess behind yeah, it and uh-huh. you really only have like literally one person mm-hmm. as the focus. Uh, but seriously, though, it is god-awful. It makes the film look like borderline AI-generated just for how smeared and unrecognizable background details are other than the main focus in the frame. It's that bad. It is awful. Now, wh- okay, so why do it? Like, what's uh, supposed to be the draw? Apparently, it's his new thing. It's his kind of oh, new God. aesthetic. This reminded me of some of the stuff in the post-apocalyptic uh, scenes in, Snyder, uh, in the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Yeah. I maybe didn't really notice it then because that already felt like a CGI nightmare. Right, sure. But uh, I, I, I never saw it, but apparently this was the same gimmick of his Army of the Dead movie for Netflix and had the same same issue. So it is not a fluke. It is a feature, and it is the ugliest filming wow. technique I think I've ever seen. He's gonna it start awful. He, he's going to start making James Cameron look really good. <laughs> yeah, he's going to make Developing everyone look good. his own cameras, good. his own lens. I mean, yeah, come right, on now. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's where I mean, like, it's like he's... It, it's just Zack Snyder. I mean, like, I, I can't say uh, it is... Like, slow-mo, absolutely Zack Snyder's trademark. Uh, it's in every... I mean, yes. if, if he could put it yeah. in every scene, he really would. But this new feature, this new look and aesthetic to his... The, again, it's a this depth of field. It is... I, I pray it is not his well, thing. I really pray that it's well, stripped like from it that director's cut. Yeah, all right. It's two movies in. Yeah. And, and well, if you, if you develop the lens, it's like you're in at that yeah. point, you know? <laughs> right, right. Uh, He's banking it, on it. But he usually... Uh, some of his camera work and some of his shots can look really crisp mm. and good. They can be attractive-looking films sometimes. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that he's choosing to blur out things, especially when everybody wants to be interested in in the worlds that he's yes. trying to create here. So yes. even just like costume design, what the surroundings look exactly. like. That's kind of what you're in it for a little bit. Yeah. You know, if, if, we're, if we're opening a new type of universe— we want to be let in. Absolutely. Not I want to see blur. the cantina aliens in the background. Exactly, exactly. I want to see the people I apparently have to care about on this little stupid moon that is being <laughs> harassed by space Nazis. Like, I need to see that. Yeah. I don't need to see a hyper focus, no matter how slick you think it looks. And it, believe me, it doesn't because what this, this like, this AI generation, obviously it's not AI generation, right. but it makes the background look so approximate. It looks like in addition to this green screen endless you know cgi landscape that are the settings mm-hmm. it's so like disconnected on top of the disconnect i i think it, it was the worst looking movie wow. i've seen this wow year. Uh, it, wow it, that's yeah. really saying something it's really bad and you hit the nail on the head as far as like it's a sci-fi it's kind of about the visual candy mm-hmm. yeah we don't see the candy the candy is maybe <laughs> there you know i mean we can guess at the candy but I'm not trying to be overly mean, folks, but stylistically, I was bored to tears with this, if anything compounding with what we just said. Nothing made me say wow or felt imaginative in the way that sci-fi should or a new franchise needs to be right, to maybe right. be interested, maybe sell some toys or something like that. Um, it's a blender of Firefly, Star Wars, Raised by Wolves, Avatar, and like I said, at least the opening scene with Christoph Waltz from Inglorious 
these bastards just just for the vibe of the Nazis <laughs> coming to this moon. Um, and so many scenes are just again these these endless landscapes where visuals just feel like empty arenas for actors to stand around awkwardly in in their character pose. It's just like man, I I just I can't I can't feel good about this movie at all. <laughs> I really, I mean, it, it, like, it, it fundamentally upset me. Uh, and for, <laughs> for how much, like, I am a sci-fi fan, yeah. I was excited. Again, I'm, I'm kind of rooting for Zach. I wanted to see something new. If, right. This year with Dune being pushed was very sparse when it comes to sci-fi. That's for sure. We barely so, covered it at all. Yeah. So, yeah. If there was slack to give, you would have given it. I would have given it. All right. Yeah. I wanted to give it. <laughs> I had it put aside. But the biggest stumble of the film is in this middle section and that uh, getting the band together part. What should be a fun, snappy sequence of getting unique talent and building the squad comes off at a disjointed mess. Also, for the building of this sci-fi world, uh, secondly, it's a great opportunity to flash through a lot of settings and to expose us to this new universe. How does it work? But even that suffers from feeling like a blender without its top put on. Uh, worst of all, the film acts as if all of this is sufficient bonding between the team, where there is next to no chemistry in the group at all. I do not care about these people. When right, character yeah. deaths happen, that's I do tough. not care. There is not enough skin in the game, and that's where I think, if I'm interested in anything in that director's cut, it's actually runtime. I want more fleshed out of what should be the fleshing out of this mm-hmm. universe. Yeah, I can't tell you how much mispotential exists here in establishing our humanity. Heroes. The fun that should be the first dive into this world comes out as a slippery, broken neck. You know why New Hope is the best? You know why Fellowship is the best? It is the hook. It is the hook that gets us interested in the first place. Right, okay. Of this okay. universe. I'm, I'm, I'm all right with that. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned Fellowship. Yeah. He, he's up. He's up, folks. Uh, great point, though. Totally great point. Yeah. This film fumbles the pivotal, and I really mean that pivotal, first moments to get us interested in the huge offering to come. We're going to go ahead and give Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire, a 22. Whoa! Okay! <laughs> it was it was god Excellent! A 22%! <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 22%! Things that get Tom interested. Lord of the Rings and, <laughs> and filling bad out scores. the lows. Yeah. <laughs> okay, wow. 22%. Very, very bad score. Aquaman is looking very good! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In comparison, Aquaman was a masterpiece. I, I, mean, really I told you I had a feeling <laughs> that both of these were fighting for some of the worst films of the year. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, okay. All right, Rebel Moon Part 1, Child of Fire, ridiculous name, 22%. Yeah. That's enough on that, I would say, and we look forward to Part 2. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, all right, so we'll keep on moving on. A big, big uh, genre change now. <laughs> Let's go to a French, a very quiet... <laughs> we go to anatomy. Uh, <laughs> oh, well. A French courtroom drama. Um, <laughs> yeah. This film is called Anatomy of a Fall, uh, directed by Justin uh, Justine, Justine Tri Triet uh, Triet Triet. Yeah. Yes, because it's French. Yeah. So uh, it, I believe this came out in Cannes Cannes Film Festival. Mm. Had a release in France, okay. and I don't know if it got a proper. Well, it didn't get a proper wide release in the states. Mm-hmm. We think that it. You said it might have came out a little bit in November. I, I thought I it came out in like August or September. Yeah, yeah, but it was like select theaters, a lot of select big cities. Yep. So once again, this movie that's being talked about that almost no one can see. Yeah. So we're putting it this week. Not only is it you know part of we should see it because it is being talked about a bit. 
I'm counting it as a new release because it just is available on, on Amazon mm. just a week ago. Mm-hmm. So it is a new release as far as people are concerned. Sure, sure. So Anatomy of the Fall, it's rated R. It's two hours and 31 minutes. Let's get into it. It is a French courtroom drama. It's kind of what it's billed as. Yep. I was surprised to see how long it was when I sat down to go watch it. And I was doing a lot of... I didn't know whether it was going to be English or subtitles, and mm, it's both. Yes, yes. And I was both. flipping them on and off as yep. we went. So let's just dive in. Anatomy of the Fall, Vin, what did you think about it? Uh, well, I, I like this film a lot, and it was an uphill battle because I usually don't like courtroom dramas. Uh, very but, tough for you. Uh, you know, this film had a lot of pre-buzz for award season and was one of the two smaller releases I was scrambling for this week, uh, Zone of Interest being the other one. comes from Just, uh, Justine Triette, a French director working since the 2010s, but... Uh, new ground for me watching this movie. The blend of English and French being an interesting here as well. Um, not a fully subtitled film, but information is given specifically in French, which puts our main character at odds. And in fact, I think it might be even the secret ingredient to why it all works so well. Oh, how oh, information okay. is presented to us. Uh, more importantly, how... The English of our main character is always pre- presented uh, presented as some sort of spin, uh, some sort of mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. all the way the truth. Anatomy of the Fall uh, is a very literal title. Here, <laughs> uh, we open up with a brief introduction to a family before tragedy strikes, and the father falls to his death out of a window. The setup is intentionally gray, leaving many aspects for us to tease out over the heavy two uh, two and a half hour runtime which blends crime investigation and courtroom drama. The mother's involvement is under fire, and in true mystery fashion, nearly every aspect is unclear. Uh, The boy is partially blind. The autopsy needs different experts and reenactments that lead to inexact measurements. The father was secretly recording arguments for some reason, and most of all, all of the potential motive that the mother has is brought into the line of fire. Let's talk about that actress, uh, Sandra Hewler, uh, as in a good half of the nominations of the film, she is the one that's getting the nominations mm-hmm. for this. Yeah. Uh, in a week where I watched nearly every top actress role, she might just come out on top. I don't know yet, hmm. though. We still got another week till the <laughs> Tom Daly's. Uh, I think uh, the brilliance in the role is juggling both a empathetic and questionable character. Mm-hmm. Sandra, also the name of the mother as well, uh, is cold in a way that alienates her, most of all with her son, who is led into the courtroom proceedings to creep his perception of her. I feel where this movie succeeds the most is between that mother-son relationship and, uh, unfortunately, the, the the tragic spin that in uh, in the midst of the horrible reality of the father dying in this in this sudden way, that now the relationship is further strained mm-hmm. among the two grieving people, uh, and no less the son brought into this. I think uh, I have a lot of thoughts on how the presentation of truth and how that presentation and relationships works, but I want to kind of toss the ball to you on this. What, what were some of your thoughts with the mother and son, or or really anything? On yeah, that? I thought that I thought the I thought the way that the film progresses is really good. That bond that those two have, mm-hmm. and dealing with the grief of losing this person, yeah. a husband and a father, mm-hmm. and then the toll and mental anguish that it is when now it's being dragged further and further. Mm. And then also the boy's anguish of having to come to grips and think for his own self. Yeah. 
and do I believe the other side yeah. or not? Do yeah. I actually believe that my mother could have done this? And a young boy, sure. you know, I'm like a 17 year old. Yeah, you know, like I said, it, it's it was longer than I thought it mm-hmm. was going to be two hours and two and a half hours. Yeah, do you for think a very it earns quiet the runtime? I, I do because okay. I, I like the way that it unravels. Yeah, and you know the toll that it's it's done on her. How, how you put it too with her. One, she's grieving. Mm. Uh, two, she has the stress of dealing with the, the court and the law. Right, and, and being then under all, fire. Right, exactly. But at the same time, she also has she's also has a very independent mind and spirit a little bit. Mm. And so you have to also get someone who's annoyed and having to defend herself. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I think she plays that beautifully. And again, mm-hmm. just the unraveling of the family and emotions, uh, the toll it takes – I really liked it. Yeah. I kept on thinking and made multiple notes of how real this movie felt mm-hmm. and how almost it felt like we were watching real life. Mm. And real life isn't always unbelievably exciting sure, sure. or edge of your seat suspenseful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I feel about this movie. Mm. It's not overwhelmingly exciting. <laughs> right, and right. I wasn't on the edge of my seat, even sure. though it is supposed to be kind of a mystery thriller courtroom drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really just felt real. And for that reason... Loved everyone's performance, loved mm-hmm. her performance, but it kind of – it's hard to be overwhelmingly ecstatic mm. about any of it, except for the, sc- the screenplay. Sure, uh, sure. Because this movie is dialogue. It loves the dialogue. It sits on the shoulders of everyone having to deliver that dialogue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, it's – I think the length is gained because mm-hmm. of just – uh, the eloquence of how everything plays off. Yeah, and I, I, going back to to Sandra Hewler's performance, that's where I feel like it. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot baked into this in a lot of different angles, especially in the presentation of the truth, you know, quote unquote, right. in in many different ways. If she if she gets the nod or if she gets the win, it'll it'll be kind of the dark horse in the race because I feel like this is such a more reserved role in comparison to a Carrie Mulligan and Maestro yeah. or I, Penelope Cruz and 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 Ferrari. I would say that she doesn't. Well, and those are going to be for supporting actresses. Yep. You know, so the question is, does, does oh, she true, does she true. have enough juice to get in the lead role? In the lead role. Mm. Um, I mean, I think she'll get a nomination. I don't mm-hmm. necessarily think that she deserves to win. Mm. And not that I could pinpoint any wrong things about her performance. Mm-hmm. Again, I thought, like, the character that she had to play, I thought she played phenomenally. Sure. I, it, it felt real. She felt like a real person, which is the best thing that you can say. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing is it's it's just limitations on the character itself. Yeah, yeah. You know? Absolutely. Two and a, it's, it's two and a half hours of her. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true, very true. Yeah, and I, I feel like uh, I, I'm absolutely with you that it earns the two and a half hours, almost to the point that... I was saying almost every 30 minutes ago, how are they going to fill this? And then it it, it justifies it itself. Fills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really worried, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like where this movie shines is it does an excellent job in contrasting the different presentations of truth. As the case becomes larger and more complicated, characters are drawn towards the family that allow us to hear the quote-unquote facts many different ways. It's also another area where the dual language shines. Anything in French often signifies the cold facts of the case, uh, where Sandra is the only one speaking English and adds a gray element intentionally. That gray element plays in the courtroom. That gray element plays with our perception uh, perception of Sandra. Mm -hmm. And I think that great element, most of all for the uh, the course of the story, plays with Sandra's perception from her son. How her son is being swayed by being in the court, hearing these cold, hard facts, and then hearing the disconnect 
of how her English sounds mm-hmm. and how emotional mm-hmm. her English sounds and how cold and calculated the French sounds with it. I, I really think did think it was great uh, implementation of dual language. In uh, that. I like the dual language, I think, mm-hmm. but that is something that I don't know how the brains do to uh, f- find in there. So oh, that, really? I think that's a, gr- a great observation. <laughs> okay. And I think it would be fun if I go ever go back and watch this and, and noticing that, highlighting that. Mm. Because just as you say, where English is where things can be muddy mm-hmm. as far as that's where the... Uh, that's where they give the the, sh- the leash to kind yep, of. Yep. Yep. Uh, I believe the first time we switch to French is mm-hmm. uh, the people doing the autopsy. Yes, exactly. And where it's just straight information. Yep. Exactly. Uh, it, excellent, excellent find on that. Yeah. yeah. And then you even notice it in some of the flashbacks we get with these recorded arguments uh, with the father that those are all in English right, as well. Right. Uh, it's like maybe it's not uh, shades of truth, but English is definitely where the film is trying to present a questionable recollection of the facts uh where french who was it was cold hard then uh my really only critique here is the structure of the courtroom drama i think i've made it clear in some past episodes though i don't remember what movies we actually covered that the Kane mutiny (laughs) (laughs) which will be featured next week yeah right there we go (laughs) in Uh, fact you you weren't the biggest fan of courtroom dramas And then you watch a K-Mutiny, and it was just the nail in the coffin. It was the worst. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It really soured you on the yeah. whole genre. Oh, and, and Humphrey Bogart uh, <laughs> turning in his grave. <laughs> I would say, why I don't like this storytelling style, one of my problems is around the rules of the court being thrown aside for drama or, or worse, razzle-dazzle, which I think does unfortunately happen in a little bit with the prosecution of this, uh, of this uh, of the role of the prosecution in this film. This doesn't escape that, and and though it being a foreign court, I wasn't as familiar with the structure. Sure, you know, sure. Like, hey, why are they wearing fancy blouses? What's up with this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I, I think characters are forced to comment on how the drama breaks the order of the prosecution in this. And sure, it's great if you bake it into the the script in some way, but I still feel like it it sensationalizes something that hmm. doesn't grab my interest. And I feel like a perfect counterpoint to my position is saying, well, then just don't watch the courtroom dramas and whatnot if it's just I, not your bag. But I don't uh, know. I, I think I disagree with you on that. Okay. I didn't really see where there was a suspension of belief or where mm. they were playing around the edges with the courtroom. Mm. Where exactly did you think it was wrong? Uh, I, two scenes stick out to me. Uh, when they're bringing in the experts that do the reenactment of yeah. the fall, they're on they're on stand. And yeah. she is just standing up and, and giving a whole story and whatnot uh, when she's not on stand. They comment on this as well in the sense that, okay, well, well we got to get back to the expert here that's actually you know meant for right, questioning right. and what see i think ah. and it's these uh, obviously it's great acting and these are where some of these d- d- dual language moments shine yeah in comparison to these these experts you know presenting the facts one way it's just she's just going on a bandstand she's just going it's just going off see, you know? for, i think for me i was giving it more i was letting that go a little bit just because i'm so unfamiliar with the french court system <laughs> sure, and sure. it is clearly different from what we've got going on yeah, over here yeah. And so, I, I don't know, there's t- times I was watching and some of the smart remarks, there's more smart remarks mm, than maybe yep. that you would get in an yep. American court. And for me, I wasn't saying like, oh, they're playing with it a bit too much. They're making mm. it unrealistic. I felt myself just saying, oh, this is very French. <laughs> yeah. and, you know what I mean? So I was okay with it. I, <laughs> sure, sure. To me, I would, it got, I don't know, we were three quarters through the film a little bit, really into the courtroom scenes. Yep. And that's where I just kept on feeling like, this is very real life 
ish. Mm, yeah, yeah. And it again, it's 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 like I'm not in love with this movie, mm. but man, this is really well done. Sure. So sure. I don't know. I kind of really appreciate the courtroom scenes. Sure. Okay. Uh, personally, uh, I, I think I, it's ultimately just a nitpick on my side, sure. and, and definitely a bias that I'm just not caring for this type of story structure. Right. Uh, right. But that nitpick aside, let me say I would say this movie deserves to be called a mystery, not the Knives Out, Ryan Johnson bullshit that we've got, mm. not these Agatha Christie, whodunit revival bullshit that's coming around. And this film did a fantastic job at peeling back the layers of the case one by one and earning a two-and-a-half-hour runtime by doing so. And we as the audience get to unpack that right alongside of the characters. This is what it looks like to have a... A mystery that is deserved of being called a mystery, and even though it's yeah, not like a who done it or oh, I wonder, I wonder, you know, who's going to get caught or something like that. It was a mystery in the way that of how you engage with it as an audience it's, that you're questioning alongside with the characters. I, I completely agree with that, and you're right. It's not this the mysteries that we've been getting, which really have been corny and quite bad. Most of them, right? It's all it's, these who done it. More so, a very drama mm-hmm. cinematic murder she wrote. Yeah. More so. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm okay with that. Sure, right. <laughs> Give it the Oscar. No. <laughs> but yeah, uh, folks, this looks like it finally has its wide release on streaming now. And I would just like to say, I mean, it is well worth your time. We talk about Oscar Beatty type of films that may or may not be worthy of the recognition. I would say this one broke the mold. And once again, if you're craving something actually substantial as a mystery, give it a watch. We're going to go ahead and give Anatomy of the Fall a 77. Wow, 77. Very good score. Yeah, very good. That's a very good score, Vin. Yeah. And I think it's worth, it's on Amazon, but it's. It, I think it's worth the $6 rental fee that I think it, it, <laughs> it, I think is what it's sitting at. Yeah, it's worth yeah. the 6 bucks. Yeah. Uh, if you had to give one award to this film, mm. uh, where would it go? Maybe screenplay because okay. it's, it's, yeah. it's heavy with, uh, with again, just the it's, dual languages and how much is covered and how much is I was so – I mean the film was coming to an end and I was so impressed with just the amount of lines mm. that these people needed. to Even the, the, the lawyer too. Oh, yeah, the yeah. The amount of lines cool. they needed to remember. Yeah, yeah. Very impressive, yeah. uh, especially for her. Yeah. Okay, 77% for Anatomy of the Fall. It's going to come up again. You'll hear it for the Oscars and stuff. Not that those A great matter. Movie. A great, great movie. movie, yeah. Uh, okay, let's keep things moving here. We're gonna. I had Maestro, but I want to. A little birdie actually told me about uh, <laughs> the Iron Claw and you. So I think we're gonna go ahead to Sean Durkin's The Iron Claw. Uh, this is yet another A24 release out in these these last two months of the year. A24 is coming out with so many films mm. in like this month, month and a half mm-hmm. span. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Iron Claw, kind of the origin story of wrestling as we know it today, I think. <laughs> Okay. Wait, let me. <laughs> no, no, no. That's good. That's okay. good. I like that. I mean, it definitely. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. Yeah. I don't know anything about the actual story. Yeah, sure. Too much, I didn't except either. for didn't rough either. research about it. Other people talked about it, and because this was never my bag, never <laughs> You're my never bag. Into wrestling. I know okay. some of the characters that might be in the film a little sure, bit. Sure, sure. But as far as that, let's get into the Iron Claw uh, with Sean Durkin. And how did you like it, Vin? Uh, well, uh, I, I was definitely a little hyped for this. Like I said on the podcast, when I first saw this trailer, 
Talk about striking while the iron is hot. I mean, mullets come back and suddenly we now get wrestling biopics. You right. know what I mean? Like it's like that is acting <laughs> on 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 your market. Uh, this is written and directed by Sean Durkin. He is completely new to me, but might be recognizable for some coming off of the Dead Ringers reboot from earlier this year. That was. Uh, a Cronenberg property made into a show. I don't know if anyone really cared about that besides me, but <laughs> uh, but uh, that that's what he's he's hopping off of directly into this and touts a very impressive cast, especially in the three main brothers: Zac Efron, always bringing the girls to the theater, <laughs> uh, especially with his new roided out physique. Uh, Harris yeah, Dickinson, uh, I mean, he's big. He's big. He's big. Uh, Harrison Dickinson uh, is coming off of a big year in 2022 and shedding his usual British role with this. He was very enjoyable in this. Uh, but most of all, rising star Jeremy Allen White, who continues to climb in meteoric popularity coming off of his hit chef core show, The Bear. People just cannot get enough of Jeremy Allen White. Yeah, I love The Bear. We we watch yeah. it, and we're avid watchers of that. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny, because Zac Efron, a, a year ago, Zac Efron would be the guy in this film. Mm. You know what I mean? He would be the main star. Now, just so mm. recently, Jeremy Allen White is skyrocketing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like crazy. People, and charismatic-wise, I know Harris Dickinson, not nowhere, uh, he's, he's nowhere close to... A recognizable name, but I'm telling you, he's he he, he holds hangs. his weight. Yeah, yeah he absolutely. holds his weight. Um, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Allen White has also got kind of his start, and a lot of people know him from Shameless as well. Oh yes, of yeah. course, of course, yeah. Actually, with the bear, I pulled your move that it's one season and done. So, <laughs> really, you're not going to go in a second? <laughs> I don't know. I I like it a lot. I like the show, but. I don't know. I just, I, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm surprised I even gave it one well, season. I'm surprised you watched. Yeah, yeah. All right, that'll be for our next podcast. Yeah, so. Chef Core. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. If you're yeah. gonna watch the show, the bear is phenomenal. Yes, and yes, easy to kind of go through too. The shorter episodes, most of all. Uh, true. Very true. What is that? FX. It's well, it's on Hulu. Oh, okay. It's, okay. it's a joint thing, but uh, you can get it on Hulu. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm always liking FX's uh, stuff. They do all right. Um, so. But anyway, yeah. this accounts for three of the four brothers uh, in the true story of the Von Erich family, a wrestling dynasty in the 1980s who weaved in and out of tragedy during their fame. All of this starts with their father, however, and like many former jocks in their old age, live their dreams of championship through his four sons, whether they should be in the ring or not. Holt McCallany uh, plays the father and continues in the legacy of strong supporting performances in these type of biopics, in these type of... um, wrestling sports biopics i feel like the father is always you know a good supporting role and Mm -hmm. that continues in here in many ways this is an examination of a toxic father in a family dynamic more than it is wrestling history Uh, i mean yes it is the biopic for the von erics but it really is an examination of that father dynamic and what it did to these four brothers mm. then. Uh, the real main character here, though, is Kevin Von Erich, played by Efron himself, uh, the second oldest brother, and ironically, the black sheep in the family's aspirations of fame. Uh, I have to say, this movie was unluckily placed next to a lot of unique and new new feeling films I watched this week. By no means was this a bad 
bad movie, but it was just very predictable in its biopic setup. And I mean, this was the week of biopics, basically. Yeah, <laughs> in a year of biopics. Yeah, in a year of biopics <laughs> and the week of biopics, absolutely. <laughs> Over the runtime, I was increasingly confused on why A24 would back such a simple and straightforward story. But perhaps this is the start of the more mainstream attempts that they're going for. I, I don't know when that uh, is beginning. I know in the news they were saying that they were... Uh, trying to do some more mainstream projects. But. They, they are, and they're also starting to produce some uh, large television shows as well. Mm, interesting. Um, I believe through HBO, which had something probably to do with that huge deal that they just struck yep, yep. For, for HBO and, and A24. But the, the thing is that this still f- this still feels very indie, no? No. Okay, it feels uh, like big movie. Yeah, it feels like big movie, feels like big biopic. And I feel like uh, one of the better aspects, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a backhanded compliment I'm giving it, but... It's unexpectedly sweet and pure. Uh, it okay. really is about brothers in the ring wrestling. Right, right. Like, and, and, and almost brothers being each other's support structures with such a toxic father. Such mm-hmm. a father that felt he has missed his train. Uh, he has missed his boat or whatever the phrase is. <laughs> <laughs> missed the boat. Missed the boat. <laughs> You missed the train. Uh, (laughs) The true story here is dynamic enough to earn the right to be told as a biopic, which is, you know, it's it's not without drama. It's dynamic enough to say like, okay, yeah, that's that's that we can make a biopic off of this. Right, right. But most of the enjoyment comes from the bonding these brothers have on screen and how often their father is uniting them in punishment. That's kind of the dynamic there. It really comes down to how you see the story, though. I would encourage seeing this as a ensemble performance uh, with a wide focus on the family, but in reality, Zac Efron really is the main lead here. And though I was not really excited to see uh, Zach <laughs> on, on screen uh, in such a dramatic role. I really did think he was the weakest part of this film. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. Uh, the fact that people are saying that he deserves an Oscar nomination for this, I think is a joke. Really? Uh, yeah. This um, surpri- That surprises me. Yeah. He I, worked the longest. He had the script for the longest. Mm. He was the first guy in on the project. Oh, really? Yeah. And certainly wow. the physique, uh, you know, that is worthy of uh, of praise as well. All uh, the him bro- getting absolutely <clears throat> jacked for this. But. Is, it, is it really about? I know it's four brothers, mm-hmm. but is it really a, 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 a threesome? The three brothers, or uh, that, that's at least in the the main stride of the film is in the middle when all of the other brothers are coming to support Zach okay. in the biz, basically. Okay. They're getting involved in wrestling, and that's where you you get the Rush song playing, and you get like the, the press conferences where they're all talking smack and okay. stuff like that. Uh, from my understanding, each actor as well were in charge of their own physicality, were in charge of their own program mm. to get fit in whatever, whatever way they wanted. Interesting. Um, I've heard that they all look buff. They, they do all look... You know, strong sure. and everything like that. However, apparently Zac Efron, more than anybody, like big time, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he changed his body for yeah, this. Yeah, but absolutely. he also had longer to do it as well. Sure, sure. Uh, and I mean, it's a bit hard because the character of Kevin is supposed to lack charisma intentionally. Okay. He's supposed to be a little bit of the black sheep. He doesn't know how to smack talk in the ring. Uh, Turn it on. Exactly. Yeah. He's not a showman with it. Uh, but Efron's performances just make him this dumb lummox on screen. <laughs> and I could ba- it just barely hold my attention. Also, the lessons wow. the movie's, movie tells through Efron's performance, through 
Kevin's story just felt so low-hanging fruit. Like, okay, yeah, you didn't know that before? Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, right. like, yeah. Yeah. it's like, it really just boils down to guys can cry too. And uh, I just found that to be very straightforward, very doing nothing with the macho-ness of it. A little one uh, note. Yeah, one note. Like you note. walk in and I'm ex- expecting it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then again, this is now compounding with why the hell is A24 getting behind this and why the hell people are saying that this is an Oscar performance because it's I, I really didn't think it was. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was, um, again, by no means a bad movie, but just a very generic movie. Um, okay, all right. Uh, I was going into this thinking I would like it a lot, and if anything, uh, what I did like is some of that retro wrestling callback and potential cameo experiences, uh, or appearances, rather. But even that felt bland. Most critically, there was a uh, there is a final match uh, with some actual wrestling legends like Ric Flair, mm-hmm. and it just has to be one of the worst casting choices I've ever seen. Like it, these are bad casting decisions for the supporting actors and the cameo mm. callouts to what. I think a lot of the people going to this movie are going to know as wrestling history. Or would love to see a Ric Flair. Sure. Or like a young, whatever. A, 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 somebody playing Ric Flair that yeah, would surprise the, the, the hell guy out playing Ric Flair, I mean, not, I, I, I didn't even do research to know his name. He was terrible. <laughs> he was terrible. Uh, and Ric Flair is the, one of the largest personalities yeah, <laughs> in sports. Uh, so, and, and I mean, I think like that's kind of across the board, uh, with a lot of old wrestling talent that kind of, uh, is referenced or is shown a face here in okay. cameos. Uh, again, kind of a, a weak note to something that I feel like if you're going into this movie wanting wrestling history, I don't think it's about that. It's about a, a toxic family dynamic. Uh, and maybe that's where A24 wanted to get behind it because it's not your typical thing, but in execution really comes out as a very... By the books, hmm. uh, biopic okay. uh, of this family. I think part of my feeling of blah coming off of this is from just the, again, that lackluster message the film tries to tell and feels like low hanging fruit for the macho characters on screen. It's a shame because I think everyone is giving their all performance wise, but it's uh, contained in a package that is forgettable, contained in a package that we've seen before. Many times this year, I've seen many times this week, <laughs> uh, and not unlike the Von Eric family, something that is probably happening all over the wrestling mm-hmm. space during this time. We're going to go ahead and give the Iron Claw a 58. Oh, wow. Okay, 58. And I yeah. got, oh, man, I got to tell you, that's very A24-ish for us here. <laughs> really? I Yeah. Well, you're not... We appreciate it. Twenty four. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, their movies do not hit for you that much. Yeah, uh, and, I, and oftentimes come away as blah. Sure, missing sure. on you know trying to be something, missing on some levels. Yeah, and not being overwhelmingly exciting in any way. Yeah, yeah. Did it feel? You know, we've talked about it a lot when we cover a twenty four, where it feels like a twenty four. No, no. It, I, so this felt different. I mean, maybe as a compliment to a twenty four in their attempts to expand their feeling, this right. did not feel like an a twenty four film, but. What it did feel like was every other biopic I've ever seen in my life. Gotcha. (laughs) Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, The film, like again, uh, like I said again, uh, the film hits a really good stride in the middle when the brothers are in the ring. Right. They play Tom Sawyer by Rush. 
It's got this 80s feel. You got like these retro um, screen assets from like the like, you know, public access TV. Right, and, right. And, and uh, early ESPN coverage. It feels It's grooving good. a little bit. It's moving, yeah. yeah. And then obviously, you know, where the true story goes, we divert from that. But uh, I just feel like in the execution of this film, we needed more of that good stride in the middle. Uh, and just it was, to keep it going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we need a different emphasis on these on these brothers lives okay 58 percent for the iron claw uh for a very specific person i would say to see <laughs> um yeah because if you're super into wrestling I, if anything feel? i think it's more mainstream than than, yeah. than you think yeah wow. i think, okay. I think it's, right. it's safer than you think okay so uh okay so before we get on to our last three which are probably the the, the biggest three yeah here, but before we get to those folks we just want to remind everybody that Vin and I are, or the Daily Ratings is completely producer-supported. So we're going to try to do our best to stay away from corporate advertising. Uh, we just don't want to sit here and shill uh, products that we don't actually care about to you and pretend that we do. We don't want to deal with paywalls on this site. We don't want to deal with uh, pay tier structures or or subscriptions. Like I said, it's producer-supported. How you become a producer, you go to the dailyratings.com, you go to the donations tab, and through your monetary support, you, one, become a producer. But also, two, show us the value that you're getting from us here, from the podcast or the website or the newsletter. And that's called the value for value model. Uh, Vin and I, we put the work out there. It's it's technically free. It's all there for you. Mm -hmm. But the point is, are you getting value from it? Are you into movies more than what you were before you listened? Mm -hmm. Are you critiquing or curtailing your own movie lists yourselves? Or are you just having a good time? You listen every week and you just enjoy it. Uh, that's value in your pocket. We just ask that you can give us some value back in our pocket. So again, it's a value for value model. And if you go to the donations tab there on the dailyratings.com, we have some fun set amounts that you can go ahead and donate. You can do your value for value donation, which is whatever amount that you want. And don't forget that when you do that, you send in a donation note along with it. So uh, PayPal gives you 250 characters if you have something small to say. But email us at tom.vin at thedailyratings.com. Uh, write a note in with comments, critiques, uh, questions that you have for us. Sure. Uh, this segment right here, the, this is the producer segment, and we're going to read those notes. Uh, if you're going to send some money our way, we also want to show an appreciation for that. Mm -hmm. and we want to hear what you have to say because just like in Hollywood, when you financially support a project, you are a producer. So we thank those of you who have produced in the year 2023 here, we hope 2024 we're going to invite a lot more producers in or a lot more people will want to become producers. So again, it's dayratings.com. Head to the donations tab and we thank you all so much. And don't be afraid to talk about it. Don't be afraid to talk about the daily ratings when you hear people talking about Rotten Tomatoes or movies or... Or the Oscars coming up. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as I always say, if you could, just get us in the conversation. That's where we want to be. Uh, and we appreciate it so, so much. We're growing every week and we love seeing it and we love that kind of the word is getting out even if it's a trickle we appreciate it and we know that people are enjoying it so let's keep things going here vin we are going to go to netflix's big movie bradley cooper's big movie mm. here six years in the making for the maestro or just maestro yep. directed by bradley cooper it's my understanding that this was really a steven spielberg film that he was oh, going to do really marty was going to direct it he what? then dropped it for killers of the flower moon and then it my understanding is Spielberg either saw um, A Star is Born or he was 
at the filming one day okay. and saw Bradley direct a scene. Mm. And then after it's this one scene, he went up to him and just like, you're doing Maestro. Wow. I'm giving you Maestro. It kind of makes sense uh, in that Lenny Bird scene is, uh, did, did West Side Story. Spielberg then did the West Side Story remake. Maybe yeah. that's what's planted the seed there, but that's awesome. And I think it's risky. I mean, Bradley Cooper, only his second second film he's directing, yep. and it's very much of the same along the same things of A Star is Born. Mm, yes, yes. So I don't know how he feels about that, but boy, is he doing some campaigning for an Oscar. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we'll talk. We'll get into it whether yeah. he deserves it or not. But Maestro, right. Vin, we'll jump into it. I watched it as well. Um, how did you like it? Uh, I, I definitely did like Maestro. Um, uh, Bradley Cooper is an absolute triple threat here. Directing, writing, and acting. Uh, Philadelphia's own. Yeah. We're <laughs> uh, <laughs> proud of our boy. Uh, and it is a Herculean task to take on three of arguably the biggest roles in any production, no less make a habit out of doing it. Maestro is the second film he has helmed this way, the first being 2018 smash remake A Star is Born. I never saw that film, partially because it was spoiled on me, actually. so You never saw it? No, never saw A Star is Born. Did you see in, like the original? It was done like uh, five times. In the times. 70s or something? Oh, really? I don't know about five, yeah. but maybe like three. <laughs> <laughs> it's a movie that's been done Sounds like a special times. to me. I <laughs> uh, didn't see the original. No, yeah, it, it, got, it got spoiled on me. I was I was just like, I don't need to see it. You okay. Know? Yeah. I, I recommend you see it. Okay. Uh, I watched it, I think, for the first time this calendar year. Oh, okay. And was blo- was very – was blown away almost. Wow. With how good Bradley Cooper was. Uh-huh. The fact that he directed it. And once again, I, I – Love Lady Gaga as an actress. Wow, wow. Love okay. Lady Gaga. All right. I'll give it a watch. I'll give it a watch. But, I, I, you know, while I can't speak to how Cooper handled himself yeah. in the juggling act previously, I, I feel like he has a... Uh, a secret, uh, kind of a, a secret ingredient or a secret uh, method for how he pulls off the triple juggling act. Uh, if there is one question that plagued my mind walking into this and a classic question now covered on the podcast, folks, will the juggling act be too much? Uh, in short, no, I don't think it is. Cooper seems to do the impossible and avoids having the film reek of ego or being a puff piece. Uh, hmm. Not unlike the <laughs> what we covered with Marlon Brand earlier this year during Western Month. <laughs> That's you right, one-eyed Jack. Yeah, Jacks yeah, yeah. one-eyed Jacks. Uh, if anything, the secret weapon in both of these productions is him taking a step back into a supporting acting role and letting his female co-star take the lead. Despite this film having the duty of being a biopic on Lenny Birdstein, uh, stylistically is always tuned to tell more of the story through his wife's eyes, putting Carrie Mulligan center stage, much like Lady Gaga before her. Uh, Maestro is split between two sections, black and white, followed by well over half the movie being in color. And my best guess as to why it focuses on this is uh, really the true point of the film, which tells the story of both Leonard Bernstein and his wife, Felicia. Uh, Lenny uh, was one of the first notable American conductors, and in addition to his orchestral brilliance, has produced modern masterpieces through his music, uh, most recognizably the soundtrack to West Side Story, which plays inside this movie as well. Um, Definitely a highlight for me was um, his pieces over his career playing in tandem with, Mm -hmm. you know, the sections that were dipping into his life. The story focuses around his struggle with artistry, 
um, attention through fame, and most of all, love. Uh, the film really becomes a struggling romance between Felicia and Lenny's closeted homosexuality. But the structure of this biopic is further improvised upon, as the editing pushes us through the moments of Lenny's life at different paces. Uh, when he is working on music, when he is in what he loves, if anything, we don't put emphasis on that. We clip past it and kind of to convey that he's distracted in his work or he's doing what he loves and it's all okay. But what struggles uh, brew at home, uh, we slowly crawl to convey his agony and not creating art and maybe even being frustrated romantically as well. Uh, it has an inverse approach to what, what I think was anyone's expectation of this being a biopic. We don't really focus on Lenny Bernstein yeah. as much as we should, honestly. I think the, the good thing is that the payoff is Carrie Mulligan has definitely one of the strongest performances, if not the strongest performances of the year. Mm -hmm. uh, so it has a worth itness to it. But I feel like um, uh, for someone, myself included, yeah. not familiar with Bernstein's story, I felt it kind of failed in a way of actually just its its core duty of, hey, let's get to know this guy and why is he famous? You know what I mean? I, so it's funny you say that because I was given a lot of thought to this film mm -hmm. and I was just, I was trying to wrap my brain. I still don't quite know what to think about it. Mm, okay. I want to watch it either, I, either never again or watch it <laughs> maybe like three more times. Sure, sure. So, but the funny thing is, is I came to the conclusion finally, it just kind of snapped in my brain and I was just like, that's kind of the issue I have with this, with this film. Mm. I don't really know anything about Leonard Bernstein. Yeah. And after watching it, I kind of still feel like I don't. Yeah, I agree. Totally in Napoleon syndrome where we're choosing to focus very much so on the relationship. Mm -hmm. It's, ex it's more expanded than what we had in Napoleon with yep. Joaquin, but. I think, I, I think the rela relationship has a worthiness because it's a it's puzzling together uh, already kind of a weird scenario it's it has it, a, it, it has a, a puzzle to unpack where with napoleon it was just like all right you know no for sure yeah. and it, that's why it's better than napoleon and and they do delve deeper mm -hmm. uh into lenny bernstein than napoleon did napoleon yeah still though i walk away and it's like okay Leonard Bernstein was bisexual, mm -hmm. and he had to deal with that with his life, and his wife also had to deal with that at the same time. Mm. And that's, that's really it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, that's kind of it. You mentioned the West Side Story, uh, yep. the music playing. We don't really talk. Is the word West Side Story, the, the words West Side Story ever said in the film? I think it's said like one or two times. Very minimal, though. Very minimal. And I got, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, okay, but people know the man. People mm. know the legend of this American composer. Uh, of composer. And... You know, it's conveyed a little bit. Obviously, there's kind of a, the showstopper moment towards the end of the film. Mm. But I, I can't help that so much is left on the floor mm. just to really just pick apart the relationship of Carrie Mulligan and Bradley Cooper. Sure, which can be interesting. But I feel like that's where I'm saying like it kind of failed as as its main role as a biopic, and, you know? Yeah. And I, that's exactly where I'm at. Yeah. Because I walked away from it, and finally I was like, oh. Because I, I kept on wanting to be like, oh, I, I feel like I need to do a lot of research. I want to mm -hmm. Wikipedia him. I want to mm -hmm. see what the deal is. And it's like, oh. Yeah. Wait, the film I, was I just watched a biopic. 
and I'm clueless on the guy still a little bit. Uh, performances are amazing. I, I really think we're going to be right on track here. Yes. Uh, especially if those were our big takeaways. So yeah. We still don't know this guy. <laughs> <laughs> we still don't know this guy, but he sounds interesting. He looks good. But yeah, I uh, it's it's. What did you think about the editing? Kind of intentionally, or maybe two twofold question. What did yeah. you think about the black and white color split? And the editing kind of intentionally speeding past the exciting moments of fame in his life. Okay. The black and white, I didn't mind. Okay. It looks really nice. I think this was shot on film. Mm -hmm. And the movie looks really good. And we kind of have black and white is just having a moment right now. Mm. And I don't think it should be cheaply done. I don't think just throw it in just to throw it in. Mm -hmm. I think the separation of when they cut from black and white to color is mm. a good separation. Mm. Um, I think it's the key to the point of the film being about the relationship. Because the, the moment we see that the black and white switches to color – Arguably, it's a close up of her, correct? Yes, yeah. it feels like that's the last moment of maybe like real love in that relationship, or 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 a switch in perspective from Lenny to to Felicia. Oh, that's or good. Yeah, like that, that. That, that that's very good. Yeah. So I, the black and white was fine. Mm -hmm. As far as the moments like skipping over his major accomplishments or mm -hmm. skipping over so much, I totally had an issue with. Yeah, and it goes to the fact of and why I walk away not really knowing who this guy is, mm. except I really know very limited things about him. Sure, and I know a Intimate lot. Intimate things, sure, and yeah. I know a lot about his wife. Yeah, and just in a movie uh, called Maestro about uh, Leonard Bernstein, mm -hmm. it fell flat, fell yeah. short. It's tough because I I wonder what someone that that knows Bernstein so much as far as the career, if this the, is enriching to them because it's, oh, we're, we're, we're seeing the things that mm -hmm. we, we don't know. You know what I mean? The kids uh, liked it a lot. The his, kids? His kids. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the kids. Load up the minivan we, this weekend. Yeah. I was going to like, Do the couch, puts it on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Just put it on. They need noise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, apparently uh, the Bernstein kids really liked oh, it. Oh, okay. Interesting. Oh, well, I mean, I guess that's a mark considering that the depiction of Bernstein at times is a little dicey, but... I don't think it ever is. No? So I guess we should bring up... That, yeah, that was the one thing about the film. People were bringing up that the the, the enlarged nose was distasteful oh, sure, and anti-Semitic. Sure, yeah. Right, right. I think we could throw out the window, that out the yeah, window. Yeah, no, I don't think it was a problem uh, at all. It was done by one like the most legendary makeup guy that's in the business <laughs> right now. Uh, and it was done very carefully and... The, he looks great. And the family loved it. Yeah, so that's, yeah. that's pretty much that. The family's all about it. I think we're good there. Sure, sure. But basically... Now, I will say Bradley Cooper is, I mean, the, the loudest Bradley Cooper has ever been as far as just a presence <laughs> on screen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he's acting his ass off where it's at the point of, I mean, there's one where he's just having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with uh -huh. someone that's that's supposed to be kind of writing his autobiography or writing a book on it. Uh, yeah, it was some interview. And it's just Bradley going. Yeah. You know, it's a yeah. simple conversation, but <laughs> he's, he's going He's going for it. <laughs> um, and to the point where it made me think it's, I, I know it's a good performance. Yep. Uh, Bradley totally deserves to have a knockout, dragout battle with him and Killian Murphy for that Oscar. Mm. Um, you know, he deserves it. He's campaigning his ass off. It was a phenomenal... Uh, performance. It it was uh, just getting down a nasally voice, kind of, <laughs> and and going for it. It was yeah. that. It was, it was. If anyone could do a Jewish impression, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> you can kind of do what what Bradley Cooper's doing um, here. But he commanded that role very very well. Yeah, and, and Carrie Mulligan was phenomenal. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, as far as supporting actresses go, it's gonna be her and Vanessa Kirby. Mm. You know, in a very similar role, really? essentially. We love Vanessa Kirby. In I Poland. know. Yeah, but. Uh, are you just so salty on that movie? I think, yeah, we I think that's probably it's the it one is. thing we we, we had yeah. praise about that film. That's that's a good point. Is Vanessa yeah. Kirby? 
Yeah. Regardless, Carrie Mulligan was great. People have had having issues with her accent that she took on this. Okay. Um, I liked it. I liked the almost like elitist, old school yes. Americana yep, yep. kind of dialect. Yep. I, I thought she she handled it well. Yep. Um, but felt th- a little bit like Aviator or something like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but talk about like switch ups in the film. You know that switch from black and white to color, mm. and then there's something happens that kind of there's something that kind of happens to her character, mm-hmm. and it really becomes the Carrie Mulligan story. Mm, or it really the, is. What is her name? Felicia <laughs> Montague. Uh, Montalegra or something yeah, like yeah. that. But it really becomes Felicia's story then. Yes. I heard one person talking about that maybe it, you know, is this movie really about her being the maestro? Which oh, then wow. don't have to be called the maestra. But Interesting, interesting. It, it, it's very Felicia heavy. Yeah. and it's Almost v- to the it, point that as soon as it comes to color, it's about Felicia, I would say. Or at least it's about, we are learning about Leonard Bernstein about his feelings provoked by Felicia. Hmm, okay, I like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we, I'm like, I can't say I don't know anything about the guy. It gets very personal. Hmm. But at the same time, it's really just action reaction yeah. with him and his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm, 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 Conflicted with the film. I have sat down. I did notes and everything like that. Are do you, are you fully fledged on it? Or uh, no, I, I definitely in the same spot. Again, it just it, for me it boils down to I, I don't know. What are you in it for? What is your skin in the game for? Right. Is it about to find out more about Bernstein, or is it maybe to enrich what we already know in the real uh, public history of him, and now telling the inner history of him? Right, so, right. I, I would say as far as Cooper goes, is it a great performance? Without a doubt, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, do I think it takes a genius to pull off some of the vocal work that he does? No, but I do really think Cooper lives in the role. We're seeing some Daniel Day-Lewis level method acting going on. Six here. years he studied uh, conducting. <laughs> wow. Unreal. Unreal. Yeah. Uh, I would say the, you, like we mentioned, the drama around his pro- prosthetic work completely aside, I would say there is a physical transformation uh, and is incredible. Uh, you can just see that Bradley Cooper is committed to some serious method acting here. The best payoff comes in a one-take performance about third way, a third of the way in, which uh, uh, Cooper prospectively used all that real technique for Yeah, in an orchestration. So going into this film, I kind of incorrectly assumed that this performance is what you would be watching the movie for. Like we've been commenting on, folks, uh, the shift to from black and white, the shift to Felicia's perspective is really where it is. And it might be odd to say, but I think Carrie Mulligan might outshine or shine just as bright as Cooper Mm. in his performance without knowing a lot about Lenny. My watching experience was, again, frustrated by this, by so much time put with Felicia, despite good scenes. But scene after scene, Mulligan earns the attention with, uh, I would say, a jaw-dropping performance. Uh, This is, without a doubt, one of the strongest female performances of the year, and I feel like it even comes into how you see the top billing here. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Lenny is supporting. Bradley Cooper is supporting on this. Carrie is top bo- billing. So uh, I feel like as far as lead per- lead actress performances here, I, I think she may have it, especially if you're seeing it as some of these other ones that we've talked about. Wait uh, a second. You're saying that Bradley Cooper... You're saying that Bradley Cooper is supporting? I'm telling you. I think so. I think so. Just in the same way that Lady Gaga was lead. Uh, And you look on like uh, like IMDb, Carrie Mulligan's name's first. I don't know. I I disagree on that. Yeah? Yeah, I definitely disagree on that. I think she is support. Look, she's as... 
I think she is, is as much as a supporting character as you can get before you're the <laughs> right, lead. Right, until you're lead. Um, until yeah. you have to it's, share. It's a Leonard Bernstein biopic, and Bradley is takes up. Carrie Mulligan might have like two scenes mm-hmm. where Bradley Cooper is not in. Mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper has a ton of scenes that where is there is true. no Carrie Mulligan. Yeah. You know, and it is called Maestro. We are following him more. And I, I don't know. I would say he's more, his presence is huge on screen. As much as the story is brought to her, mm-hmm. he commands when he's, he, he sure. commands those, those shots, the sure. screen. Yeah. In my opinion. I don't know. No, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, I, I think it's just more so when it comes down to it, I'm looking off of what he did previously with Stars Born, letting Lady, Lady Gaga kind of take center stage with that. Uh, I'm looking as well on how it's how it's portrayed on, you know, IMDb and on online. It's uh, Carrie Mulligan is, is top there. So, wow. uh, okay. I, mean, I, I, I mean, that surprises me. I, I think I think uh, she will be up for uh, more of a lead role with this. Uh, uh, when it comes to nominations, but I guess we'll, I guess we'll I guess see. We'll see. Yeah. We won't bet on it. <laughs> yeah, he wants to bet. I think also, I think the it would gambling. be gambling. The, the star is born too. I would say that he has a bigger role as well. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm, I'm definitely speaking from ignorance with that. So, but again, very, sh- extremely shared at the same time. Yeah. It's definitely not, uh, it, it, it's not so separate as a lot of films are. Mm. Or, or this specifically yeah. where it's a, this hardcore separation. I just think he's it. so much louder on screen. That he, her. that he that he commands it, yeah. Yeah. I, what it comes down to, they're both great. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. that's the good news here. Uh, regardless of what you're in it for, I think you're going to get two amazing performances here. Uh, like uh, like we've said many a times now, folks, while I would have liked more emphasis around music and his career, we learned so much uh, through Felicia's role, uh, specifically the body language in her performance, which obviously is baked mm. already into the method acting that Bradley Cooper is doing. Mulligan, she was able to just balance being quieter, but also more baked into that yeah. performance. She's communicating so, a lot, yeah, exactly. when not having to say much. Exactly. I, I did. I did have a note for Napoleon. I mean, I think. I think this has so much more complexity and so much more yeah. of a puzzle to piece together. Uh, in out of what what could be a critique of oh, what you know, we're we're not even just giving our you know the sh- the the spotlight to our our real main character. Right, it's about right. the wife. I would say my recommendation is for this to go in to experience more of that relationship drama. Uh, to avoid sounding like a hypocrite, I-, I want to praise this breaking from the usual biopic structure, but at the same time, I could completely understand how someone could just want more of what they signed up for. Cooper's fantastic transformation in this role. We're going to go ahead and give Maestro a 74. Okay, 74. Pretty good score. Yeah. I- I'm kind of right there with you. I think a 74 is, uh, it tells everything. It's- this is not. You know, I don't. It's not the best film of the year, mm. and this was certainly being talked about yep. ever since it was. Uh, I forget what film festival it was in, but sure. it was being talked about. Yeah, in ways it lives up a lot because the performances are so good. Mm-hmm. But I agree with your seventy four because it just can only go so. It only goes so far. It really, yeah. yeah. I, and I feel as well. I'm I'm one hundred percent with you, and and not really a little frustrated feeling like I want to return to it as well. Yeah, uh, there is a frustration with that, but. That said, it's it's definitely it's definitely worth at least one watch in preparation for awards season, or just if you are a fan of Mulligan or Cooper, yeah, because uh, they act their butts off basically. So as far as the uh, director, writer, and starring in, mm. you would you would pick Maestro over My Big Fat Greek Wedding three. <laughs> The other triple yeah, threat. Yeah, the other triple threat. Oh boy! 
Megalia, wow. yes. Okay. Yeah. Se- 74% for Maestro. Let's keep things going here. We've got our weird director here. Oh, boy. I'm not ready. Yorgos Lanthimosis' latest film. <laughs> this is Poor Things. And this is also getting a lot of buzz, a lot of Oscar buzz, especially for Emma Stone. But even the supporting roles, once again, are being talked about a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a it's a weirder film, I think. <laughs> oh, so it's the weirdest For film. people who haven't seen the trailer, wouldn't know what to expect or don't know this director. Uh, Vin, why don't you set it up just a little bit? Who is, who is this guy? What are we getting ourselves into? And most of all, how'd you like it? Sure, sure. So, Tom, let me start with saying that this was a packed early afternoon theater with plenty of old people Uh-oh. and girlies coming out to support Emma Stone, and I'm not kidding, this theater, which was, uh, we'll call it call it 70% full. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, slowly dwindled in four waves of people leaving, leaving the theater. I, I Walkouts. Not, walk walking outs. out. I mean, two hours into this thing, walking out. Really? Yeah, yeah. Fed what? up with it. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to say right up front that I really like this film, but wow, okay. it is incredibly vulgar. Uh, this counts for its absurd and some sometimes crass humor, but more than anything, it is because we see countless, and I mean countless, sex scenes that single-handedly drove people from my theater in waves. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it was, you you see so much, and yes, it's part of the story, it's part of the character, Right. Uh, but um, uh, it, it it is a very awkward film to watch in with anyone, no less depending on who you're watching this with, you know. This is not a grandpa. Was this watch. okay? <laughs> uh, was this very much Bo's afraid vibes as far as the weirdness? Ooh. I think you maybe said people, a touch touch less weird, but yeah, that's that's it. Okay, I think spot. you said people were walking out of that one as well. Yes. Oh no. Well, Bones is afraid. The funny thing with that is people sat through it, but were like actually angry at the end of it. <laughs> uh, and they were saying it was a waste of time. So, so diff- different things here. Director Yorgos uh, Lanthimos uh, is an oddball talent for sure uh, that brings exciting concepts to screen, but. Maybe too exciting for some (laughs) with this film. Uh, I've only seen two of his films, 2015's The Lobster, which I gave a 42. That's hysterical. I mean, that that is super (laughs) harsh. Past Vin. Uh, And 2017's Killing of a Sacred Deer, which um, I gave a 58. Uh, I remember liking that a lot more, but I guess not. So so I was like, all right. I remember liking The Lobster a little bit more than 42, but I I don't know. I I, I didn't watch Poor Things, but Mm. I've seen uh, The Lobster. Okay. And I saw Dogtooth as well. Dogtooth? Years ago. Okay, okay. uh, Which is one of his first. Okay. And it's, I mean, I don't have much to say about this film, just about the guy in general. <laughs> okay. I, I, I wanted to like it a lot. I really wanted to like The Lobster. Okay. And then just afterwards, just sitting on it, being frustrated with it, being annoyed with it, <laughs> being confused a little bit. I just thought it was me and maybe I'm just not cultured enough or maybe. <laughs> right. I finally got to the thing is just like, this guy's just, I'm not the biggest fan, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. And I, was not, I wasn't too interested in going to, see, going to see this, except for apparently some of the performances are phenomenal. Sure, sure. And it's, it's a wild movie okay um, i would say uh, the the theme of relationships are absolutely a through line between all of these films uh but shockingly i have mm. not seen what he's known for most 2019's oscar nominated the favorite um i would love to c- circle back and cover it at some point but it's important to note because that is what starts and what this now continues as his collaboration with emma stone 
And boy, oh boy, is it is it something else? This is a wild movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is a wild movie. Poor Things is a story about discovery. To quote Willem Dafoe's character in the movie, to push the boundaries of what is known. For our lead character, Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone, that means everything because she knows next to nothing. She is a mental child in a grown woman's body, with Emma Stone dancing on a very fine line between going too far and brilliant in her performance. It's really... A device. I mean, again, if four waves of pe- separate waves, <laughs> the, they were shaving down the theater. <laughs> if that doesn't communicate it to you, this this film will provoke you in uh, in good and bad ways. Uh, Willem Dafoe plays Doctor Godwin Baxter, often referred to as just God, uh, a Frankenstein-like body-stitching madman uh, who simultaneously understands so much about the world while being totally removed from the reality at the same time. For Bella to grow, she must leave her home to embark on an adventure to discover what it means to be a woman and to face the cruelty of the world head on. I want to I want to start with with really okay. big positives because <laughs> <laughs> there's really big positives here. Stylistically, this feels like the pinnacle of Yorgo's style, maybe mm. almost how Grand Budapest felt like Wes Anderson's pinnacle. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. It just it it conjures all of kind of the meditations on relationships and now pumps it through a crazy stylistic almost nightmare but beautiful in in, in ways okay you know it feels like those usual themes of love and relationships have been taken to a conceptual peak within the fantasy of the story Uh, like nearly all of his films this is a dark comedy in the most uncomfortable way possible (laughs) you know just like how you know the the lobster is like super uncomfortable to watch (laughs) but it it achieves a a very unique horror Uh, I'm sorry it achieves a very unique humor (laughs) I mean but she's a, a humor in a way that the comedic setup will be so fringe and so awkward intentionally so time that it just forces you into nervously laughing and this happened mm-hmm. multiple times in the theater uh myself included of like an out loud laugh Almost at like, what am I seeing on screen? (laughs) Like, what what is happening? Yeah, it's a lot. Um, I would say the music is a great example of how weird the world really is. Uh, Somehow, it captures the impossible tone of the film. It truly sounds like nightmare Rugrats music. Like I listened Mm, to this a few times over. It is disturbing. So Rugrats music, <laughs> <laughs> and the idea is maybe because because you said she's a mental child. Yes. So it's just perverted um, children's music. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. It's uh, it's like uh, if Frankenstein had a a, a child story. To it. it's 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 really so crazy. he's committed here, huh? Yeah, he's really committed. He I, needs to I, be committed. I, I thought <laughs> I thought for a second it, this feels like almost like the biggest release he's had, or mm. maybe the, the biggest the, the, the most money he's kind of had behind sure, something. Yeah. There's so much in the, in the set design and everything. You wonder when films expand like that and you get a little bit more exposure is like, do you soften up a little bit mm. um, for no. a wider audience? And the answer is apparently no. Pedal to the metal, foot on the <laughs> gas. Yeah, no breaks, no breaks. Sometimes that music, though, is the punchline itself. One of the best scenes of the film is a dance scene in Portugal. And the music that plays got a full laugh of the theater with how absurd it was. Okay. Like the, the music itself is the punchline of the awkwardness. 
The design of the world is wonderfully surreal as well. The set design often feels like a Picasso painting or Dr. Seuss-esque. I would almost call this an equal mix of fantasy and sci-fi. Also, design-wise, look no further than Defoe himself, his face being grafted and scarred. Oh, it's so awesome. (laughs) He looks like concept art. He's like... (laughs) He doesn't look like a real person. Right. He looks like someone that, like a drawing that would happen in the concept phase of this movie, and then it would never make it to screen. It's perfect for the guy in this role. <laughs> yeah, is yeah. he not perfect he for really this? Is. He's, he's, he's our gothic actor. <laughs> but it really, it, it's look no further than just even the the screenshots of. Uh, Godwin's uh, lab and the you know the more clear Frankenstein type of elements here, mm-hmm. and you'll see just like how exciting uh, it is uh, design wise and concept wise. Really good stuff. Here though is where I'm torn on the film and torn in a major way. It pains me to say, but I cannot tell if this is one of Emma Stone's worst performances. Whoa! I bet uh, this hurts. It hurts. Emma Stone is my girl. Yeah, and, I, and let me just say, let me just say, okay, that it, with her being my girl, uh, now walk it back. No, 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 no. Okay, okay. Uh, I, I'm, I'm leaning in okay. more. <laughs> <laughs> with her being my girl, I mean, I, I really do love Emma Stone. If anything, the sexual uh, tones of this film were too much. Like I saw too much. Right, <laughs> <laughs> like that. That's how much it is. So I'll I'll, I'll just kind of leave that there. But uh, I, I say this with so much love for truly one of my favorite actresses, but this echoes the lesson told in Tropic Thunder. This is <laughs> Never uh, go tough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, her acting like this mental child for half of the film is a razor-thin line that she dances on, and, and it's not helped by the tone of the film very much pointing and laughing at her in a lot of ways. Um, right, because she's... A- a comedic character. Uh, right. She, it is a, meant to a, be a dark comedy. Right. A, a child in a woman's body. Yes. Right. Yes. But it, it the the poking and laughing at that the film does at this further spotlights how maybe not all right this acting is. Maybe. Really? Yeah. Now uh, is it a coin toss? Like I, I like I watch it and could love her performance. Uh, yes, and, and, and clearly that's the case with with uh, nomination buzz uh, mm. saying that okay. you know this is an incredible performance from her. Right, uh, and that's where I describe it as a a line, a razor thin line, but she is on the line there. Is she on the uh, good side of it for you? I think she's on the bad side. Okay, of it for me. <laughs> right, and so that's why if, if you had a call, this it, is it. painful. Yeah, once <laughs> um, she starts to grow, the performance drastically evolves as the character evolves. Discovering intellectual pursuits is met with a generic British accent that she throws on, which I I really wasn't thrilled with either. But above all else is borderline exploitation that takes place, showing it all in dozens upon dozens of sex scenes. That um, many? Oh, it's it's the it's whole movie. Constant. That's and then that's why people were driven out. I mean, these are I, I I see like little high school girls coming in all giggly and right, yeah, and they were just driven to a shade of red of embarrassment to the finally a point that like they're leaving. That counts the same for the old wow. people. That counts. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, you know, what I mean, I would imagine that experience is the same for viewing this with any family member. Right. <laughs> you know? Not to one to put down over the Christmas holidays. No, yeah, right, right, <laughs> exactly. W- would you so. say that then? Um, were you getting frustrated because it felt like a sense of laziness on behalf no, of the director? I, I, I would no, because the sex scenes make sense for the character. They make sense for the story. Okay. I just feel like 
it's one, it's just it's just flat out too much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it feels exploitative, even though Emma Stone is an Oscar winning actress, so it's not. You right, know, right. She, she's deciding to be a part of her projects, but on top of that as well, it, it's it's just it's just what you sit with that you're seeing all of this with a a mentally deficient child in a woman's body. Right. It just adds um, to the... It, it adds to a yuckiness yeah. to it. And then the performance adds to a yuckiness and then the tone of the film adds to a yuckiness. <laughs> and 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 that's where I'm at with it. I mean, it's... it's. I really loved the film. I just... Out of, out of the arms race this week yeah. of strong female performances, I think this one is the one I'm kind of pushing okay. back on. Okay, but she, I mean, she is the film. You, you're still walking away that positive of the film as a whole, though. Yeah. That's, that surprises me. Uh, it, it's tough because... Um, just the uh, world he creates, is that yeah, good? Yeah, I, I, I think mean, it, was, it was just such a fun movie. It was, it was actually funny. I had a great time with it. Conceptually, it's, it's, I think it's brilliant. It's, there's like nothing like this. Right, uh, I yeah. just feel like there's a time and place for it. So it's not really affecting that my, my score of the film. It is, to a certain degree, curtailing it a little bit in a way that mm-hmm. I, I say, you know, this is not definitely for everyone. This is, this is almost— Maybe not, mo- not for most, potentially. Not for most, And yeah. you could say that about this guy. Yeah, true. Very I true. mean, watch The Lobster. It's just not for everybody. <laughs> Very true. You know? I totally get what you mean too. That you watch The Lobster and you're like, "Am I? Am I dumb? Am I? <laughs> right? Am I guy... like not sophisticated? <laughs> right? <laughs> <To> get this? <laughs> I clearly don't know anything about film or something. And, right, I'm picking, right. and then I, for me, it got <laughs> to. I a... felt the same way apparently with a 42. Right. <laughs> and I was thinking more back on Dog Tooth. I mean, I saw Dog Tooth years ago. Okay. Uh, but I was just thinking back on it, and it's like I, I was just got annoyed a little bit mm-hmm. because I think it's can't we all be super provocative? I understand that the world building here, it's like the follow-through is huge and the Mm. visuals are are, are cool. Mm -hmm. That's talent. Mm -hmm. But as far as like, let me just go as weird and crazy as possible and I'll throw in 40 sex scenes. Mm. I don't know. Is that art that should be revered? Uh, I don't know. And then that's why it's tough because I think uh, it's all on Emma Stone's back uh, in in the performance. Can I set it up like this then? Sure. Okay. How long should you give this film? Before knowing it's for you or not, oh, they're like twenty minutes. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it, uh, those sexual tones are already starting in the in within the early comedy of it. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, if this was a uh, this would be a movie, I'd be almost completely all right with spoiling completely, and just it's still being completely you know untouched as far as the experience <laughs> you walk into. You you almost can't spoil this movie because of how <laughs> shocking it is. Uh, I I would say. I really was in love with the movie um, because it was just so wild and so weird and so well executed upon. It's just that I myself am really torn on on Emma Stone's performances on her, yeah. and, and the and the emphasis uh, of 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 the film, which is, I mean, dozens and dozens of sex scenes and. And again, I, I feel like if anything, it speaks volume. Like I'm this much of an Emma Stone fan, and I think it's too much. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah so, definitely. Uh, I, I feel like let that kind of speak volumes with this. Um, outside of Yorgos's other films, there is not much to compare this to. But I will say that uh, if you enjoy kind of oddball love stories, like maybe 2017's A Shape of Water, this will pair nicely with the mix of fantasy and romance, because it is absolutely fantasy, and it is absolutely romance. Sure, um, Folks, it is absurd, it is unexpected, it is shocking, 
And the biggest compliment I may may give to the film is that it is the cinematic equivalent of a child smashing the keys on a piano. We're going to go ahead and give Poor Things a 76. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> really? I, I, it's, it's a really good movie. It's a, it's 70, a great movie. Holy shit. Okay, 76%. <laughs> uh, I think... Uh, uh, okay. It yeah. may be... If if Emma Stone works for you, this could even be in the eighties for a personal wow. scale. Okay, uh, it, it is getting hype. I don't movie. want to say you're in like the outlier here. It's no, getting no. hype. Yeah. Uh, wow, seventy six percent. Okay, I, I've got that. Really, two main questions. Sure, kind of. Sure. It's two hours and twenty one minutes. Yeah. So one, is it too long? Because you're just it, you're just it's just a punch over the face. Uh, re- yeah. Repeatedly. I'll, I'll just say this much: the Paris segment is where you could cut. Okay. For sure. And then, as far as it being two hours and twenty one minutes, uh-huh. um, uh. Screen time shared mm-hmm. with uh, the main supporting, which is Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, right? yeah. And then Willem Dafoe. It seems like we do get a lot of Mark Ruffalo. Uh, we do. Uh, not, and not to skip past his performance, he's actually really funny in this, believe it or not. I okay. know, obviously, you have the... <laughs> I don't need to see Mark Ruffalo naked. I'm not going to see this movie. <laughs> no, the thing is, you don't, really. <laughs> you don't. Um, I, I, I feel like it was it was a great role because he played a idiot that doesn't think he's an idiot. Hey! <laughs> Which... Oh, my God, that's okay. <laughs> right, so right, exactly. The Mark they're... Ruffalo story. Yeah, they <laughs> 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 but uh, I, I think for that reason, I, you specifically might even get some some enjoyment. Okay, because he really is the butt of the joke on every on every scene. <laughs> okay, so. all right. Uh, is he in it? Is he in it a lot? He gets a chapter basically. Okay. in her life. And Willem Dafoe, are we just popping in and out of kind of? Uh, that's as this that's God first chapter. As you say. Uh, I would say uh, the structure of the film is based around Bella's relationship with uh, men. Okay, uh, and, that's what it seems uh, like. Yeah. First is the father. Second is uh, is Ruffalo, who plays like this cavalier, you know, gigolo type. Gotcha. All right. Uh, and then that develops more and more her relationship uh, with relationships. Okay. Uh, and that and that's why I think it, it again, in a good way. I know. I know this. This film seems all over the map. The critiques. Yeah. Seems yeah. All yeah. Over the map. <laughs> but it really is like such a a peak of Yorgo's style, uh, and I think. The best compliment I can pay it is that, yeah, it sounds it, the, the film feels like a child just smashing on the keys of a piano and yeah. just being wild and crazy. But I don't, I, I can't say that description for anything else. And I feel like he's achieved something very unique oh. and um, uh, and a genuinely funny experience in his usual dark comedy for that reason. Okay, all right, seventy six percent for poor things. <laughs> wow, I think you did a good job of talking about it, and so it's people tough. listening know where to go at least. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do they try it? And do they? Stay away, or right. will they give it the twenty minutes? Oh, oh yeah, when it give comes it the twenty streaming. minutes, and then definitely just watch it alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just, uh, just real quick, Will and the Foe, great. Oh, excellent. Okay, yeah, excellent. No shocker there. Okay, so let's keep it going. Uh, we are going to finish up on one of Vin's most beloved directors, <laughs> yeah. and he's been. It's my understanding that Michael Mann has wanted to had interest in working on this project for over two decades. Oh, wow. Okay. And there was some early development, I think in the late 90s, mm. actually, and to come out in the early 2000s. Mm. Uh, and then things just kind of went quiet on it. He's done multiple projects since, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but finally, for whatever reason, now it's working out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Michael Mann came out with Ferrari, yep. the story of Enzo Ferrari, specifically in the summer of 1957. Yeah. So it's a biopic. But again, very much on rails, very much contained it's in its own box. Yeah, yeah. Let's get into it, Vin. Ferrari, how'd you like it? Uh, well, I-, I liked Ferrari a lot. I feel like the the movie, in comparison to some of the juggernauts this week, mainly Anatomy of the Fall, 
Maestro uh, and Poor Things might get lost in the shuffle because it is it does play it by the books. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but it is a biopic once again. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like it's in the execution that something that these other heavy hitter, hitter films don't have, and it's in its action. It's in its racing. That racing is where I feel, uh, as far as my recommendations for movies, how worth it is to spend your time on this. Mm -hmm. I feel like Ferrari separates itself a little bit because there is just a a more of a uh, fundamental enjoyment of seeing that action on screen in its prestige acting, in its prestige uh, type of uh, Oscar Beatty biopic style to it. Uh, and let me say, I love Michael Mann. Big <laughs> <to> the <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the man is a connoisseur of crime, a master of the sleeper hit. Uh, he's always looking to show a particular angle and, and does so by closing in on his characters. 1981's Thief, we gave an 83, is one of the earliest and best examples of how our protagonist is often the most interesting person in the room. Also, rest in peace, James Caan. In 2001's Ali, gave a 78, uh, is also another example of man choosing to do a biopic on someone that is dynamic enough to earn our attention and worthy of that story format. Like we said in the, uh, in the Iron Claw review, these biopics, they got to be worth it. You know what I mean? Yeah. They have to, there, there has to be enough ups and downs, uh, a stickiness to the script and the story. And I feel like, once again, he earns that. I feel like this approach uh, is made perfect sense for Enzo Ferrari, a man that has been the villain in nearly every notable racing movie in recent history. We go through it. This includes Rush in 2013, Ford v. Ferrari in 2019, and Lamborghini in 2002, all of mm. which Enzo, specifically, is the antagonist. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, you might be saying, oh, who gives a crap about Enzo Ferrari? But I'm telling you, you know, he, he's 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 kind of been this this actual person has been building as, you know, a worthiness to tackle mm. a biopic with. OK, the 1957 Italian car industry might have many recognizable names, but all of them are in peril financially as uh, their deadly passion for fast cars has yet to pay out for them. Uh, the secret ingredient is perception, and if ex-racer Enzo Ferrari is going to establish himself globally, he needs his cars to be seen on a prestige racetrack. For my gearheads out there, the now infamous Mille Miglia, Thousand Mile Race, uh, is, is what the subject is uh, for that prestige racetrack. Adam Driver does a great job at balancing the ambition and confidence Ferrari has naturally, but needs to earn in the eyes of others, and in a lot of ways creates a great performance embodying the lesson of perception is reality and i feel like that's kind of the focus of the whole film would you say yeah i think if you want to boil it down I, I, that's mm -hmm. fair enzo's business also ties messily into his home life where penelope cruz plays his wife a fiery italian woman <laughs> proving to be a chaotic factor to consider as she has half ownership of the company uh, I would say the romance might seem a bit shallow at first, but is tragically complicated by the death of their their first child. Um, this becomes the center point for Cruz's story, and as we fall in the middle of her grieving process and feel her anger at a constant boiling point. You see, Enzo, like many Italian men, have a guma, <laughs> a mistress, <laughs> uh, to use some, <laughs> some Sopranos lingo. Uh, and, and while at first that romance seems 
surface level. Uh, as it plays out, we see the poetic knife turn of why he is running away to another life. Uh, I absolutely love Cruz in this. Her female Italian rage equally made for entertaining and a dramatic role and uh, without doubt deserves the nod come this season. You saw this. You saw the, You saw uh, Maestro with yeah. Carrie Mulligan. Where do you feel they, they compete? I think it's tough because they do a very, very good job. Mm-hmm. And I think it's uh, – apparently I liked uh, – what's your face is a little bit more than you maybe in Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, but right. I would say it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a three-woman race between the three of them because I think Penelope Cruz does – a really good job. Mm. I think what's going to hinder her is just the amount of time on screen that she didn't have. Mm, okay. She is playing... She plays her character very well, mm-hmm. and I, I just don't think that there's much room for her to have range. Mm. You know what I mean? Sure, sure you're going to sure. get a little bit of blow up or something like that, yep. but she is in the same mindset the entire film. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not much fluctuation there. Mm, as far yeah. as her delivering and her performance, it, it, it's great. Yeah. Going into it, I was expecting to get her role in Blow. Mm, okay, okay. Uh, because because she's wild in Blow, yep, yep. but she's great. Yep. And I, I think she does everything great. It, it, it's my, for Michael Mann to take Adam Driver playing this Italian man, and Penelope <laughs> Cruz, a, a South American woman, yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to play an Italian woman. Yep. And it, it, the way he goes, uh, he takes some risk. Yep. And for the most part, they pay off big. Uh, Penelope Cruz a part of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... Uh, she'll get the nomination for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say that she's going to be winning. Okay. Uh, I think that's fair. I think I'm in the same boat. Um, Plot-wise, I wanted her to push a tiny bit further, you know? I wanted Casino. I wanted mm-hmm. where the the femme fatale, the, the, the counterpart, kind of is the collapse of everything. And we don't really get that. Part of that being the biopic true story element. That's not how things play out. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like towards the end, the drama holds a slight punch in what it could be. Uh, and Cruz really had the keys to take that up a notch. Um, it's really the story that holds it back. I yeah, think I think that. it's funny that you say that kind of holds that punch. Because mm-hmm. um, I think there was a few things, maybe three main things that uh, I thought the movie fell flat a little bit on. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was difficult for me to come out, to be walking out of this uh, truly excited about this film. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, and that's one of them. Sure, sure. Uh, punches were held, it, yeah. it feels like. Or just things, you know, when I heard that he was working on this for so long, it was such like a, a love piece for him. Yep. Uh, I was expecting it to hit more. Sure. And I just thought there were some flat moments. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Real quick, while watching this, was it hard for you not to compare, or did you ever at all compare and think about House of Gucci for <laughs> yes. two years ago? Okay, okay. Absolutely. Almost almost to the point that one of my earliest notes, and still is a note, that I really would love subtitles with this, just because everyone is doing their own uh, approximate Italian accent, and they're throwing so many names out and whatnot. Even just structure. Adam yeah. Driver being the main lead yep. with an Italian accent. Yep. Um, instead of late, because Penelope Cruz is in, is she not in... House of Gucci? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Oh, uh, I thought she, did she play the tarot card reader? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Maybe. <laughs> I think she might. The the uh, evil eye, the Italian right, right. Malocchia. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I forget, but I think she might be. But regardless, she's much more taking up Lady Gaga's role yes. in this one alongside Driver. Yep. Uh, it was just hard not to compare and stuff. And then Absolutely. it was like, who was going to be our... Um, uh, who did we love in House of Gucci? Um, uh, Jared Leto. Yeah, Jared Leto. Who's going to be the Jared <laughs> which Leto? Is, which is against which all is odds. Ca- which at this point is kind of Enzo Ferrari's mother, I would say. 
<laughs> yeah, for real. Um, but it's, it was kind of hard not for me to go back and forth because performances were so good in, in these two films. Yeah. Um, and plus, it's just a bit of a biopic or a telling of story mm, yeah. of these big, of these large Italian companies. Absolutely, um, absolutely. It's funny that you say falling flat with Penelope because you know you started with starting not falling saying flat. More so, I feel like story wise, uh, this this has kind of been the the growing trend of like uh, I when I see a true story, yeah. I feel like. We can deviate from that true story for a better story, but I don't know. That's that's probably controversial because it's like at that point, then you why you're calling it a true story, right. you know? Well, there's only there's one comment. I mean, the very beginning, you said it. You like that. You really like this movie, or you know, you yep. love this movie. Mm-hmm. And where I I don't know if I can just quite say that. I don't know if I love this film. Mm-hmm. It's I don't know. I, one I thought the action kind of fell flat a little bit as far as racing. Oh really? To me, the action was Adam Driver speaking. <laughs> You know, that that's when I was really paying attention and really into the film. Because oh, okay. I thought it was very good dialogue mm-hmm. a little bit. What makes what makes Heat so good and electric mm-hmm. is just kind of the back and forth of the guys, sure. kind of, you know. And even sure. the, in the action scenes, that's not one you're on the edge of your seat paying attention. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I just felt I, – I was looking for a little bit more. I was looking for more punch in the, in the driving, mm. in the rift between, you know, this couple. Okay. And we get moments here or there. Everyone's performing really well. Mm-hmm. Mostly everyone is performing well. But I couldn't help but feel that, um, I, I don't know, I, I couldn't help but feeling a little disconnected with it a little bit. Mm. But that's that's just me. I, I, I think I would disagree on the action side. I think the racing I, I love the most out of the film, actually. Um, okay. I feel like uh, cinematography and editing are super strong here. You know, I... I, I Going into this, I was asking myself a few questions. I was saying, is this another Soulless Brand movie? Is this another Sexy oh. Finance movie, you know, in a year of Sexy Finance? So, but I, I, I happily say no because I think it is about racing. You know, Enzo being an ex racer, we get to see his origins on the racetrack. And this year, I think I've, I've tackled a good amount of racing. We had Gran Turismo and 10 Fast and Furious mm. movies will do yes, it. Yes. <laughs> so, I can confidently say that man's approach to capturing speed on film is what separates this from the pack. Uh, I feel like it's a realistic speed. Uh, I feel like Mm. somehow that realistic speed also translates to more chaotic and dangerous racing for that reason. Uh, if anything, no joke, I kind of got Mad Max Fury Road vibes by some of the – how the camera shakes uh, to yeah. amplify just real speed on on, on screen without just speeding That's a good point. I, I will like agree that. with that comment for sure. Yeah. Um, somewhat of the realness of it was nice. Yeah. And I think this style has substance uh, as it really sells how dangerous racing was back then. Uh, yeah. And let me tell you, there is an area where this film doesn't hold – any punches at all because these cars are a death trap. Yeah. And I feel like though it may not be the fastest on the block, though it may not be the slickest type of racing you see on film, I feel like man is specifically going for a more realistic type of way yeah. uh, to you know illustrate there is very much a high, high danger on the racetrack like with a, this. Like a grittiness yeah. he was going for rather than like a fantastical. Right, yeah. right. To communicate the racing atmosphere yeah, of 1957 that. specifically, yes. you know, uh, which is, you know. That danger is felt. Yeah. So I, I will give props to 
I don't want to take away completely from the action. Sure, sure. I was just personally looking for a little bit more. Yeah. Um, or a little bit more of a from this from this awesome director maybe seeing something new or something that would wow me a little bit mm-hmm. and i just it for me it was done just really really well sure so that that kind of stuff absolutely comes through for, for me watching anyway sure sure where uh, i was thrilled with the with the racing is there's there's a lot of moments where i don't know i just i just feel like i was just in love with the stakes of driving in these death traps, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, and this is where I, I think it separates itself as a movie in a week of excellent performances and a week of Oscar Beatty type of films, and right, right. it's it's in the making of that we get solid areas of that in watching this, but then you get action on top of it. It has more to more to offer. You know, say what you want about the biopic or the drama in the movie itself, but the final race uh, is worth your time alone. And I, I would say I had a holy shit moment with this. The first real time trial we see on screen is a st- is straight up the baptism scene from The Godfather with them cutting in between the church and the racetrack. It's it's oh oh yeah. It's just the Michael Corleone <laughs> coup. Like it's it's. It, I was like, it's, in no way does this film is connected. The Godfather Enzo, you know, was never found to be a mobster or anything like that. But like, it is so. Awesome to see Michael Mann just do an homage to the Godfather, like in this way. It was I, I, I was just in love with it, and I feel like that racing as well is outright where some of my praise towards cinematography and editing are, are to this movie, but nowhere to be found in in some of these other heavy hitters. Mm, these yeah, week. that yes, it's it's very impressive performance-wise, but lacks in the visual language that we see in this film. Yeah, I would say Maestro has some style, mm-hmm. uh, where man has a... Hmm. It's, is it fair to say that just this Ferrari feels more of a... It feels more like a movie than uh, these other biopics. Sure, sure. I, as, I know as weird as it is to say, yeah, yeah. Uh, this feels like a movie. Right, it's getting uh, it, in, a cine- in a in a cinematic way. Yeah, it's getting its job done. It's its main role as a biopic. Like we know what Ezra went through <laughs> during this time. Right, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> we actually know what's up. So, <laughs> but yeah, that that's if if I can illustrate where the action separated for me. It's it's the proof is in for me at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, these the the middle scenes of the t- the first time trials. They're testing some of the roadsters that they have uh, in preparation for the big race and just the the homage to the to the baptism scene of the godfather i was just like i was my mind was blown i (laughs) i wanted to take notes so badly but i did not want to take my eyes off the screen uh and then uh, just the final race itself Mm -hmm. i feel like is just really impressive and just so satisfying in the structure of the film to like have the payoff be about racing you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. The yeah, payoff yeah. isn't about the blow up in the romance or or anything like that or the drama of Enzo's life. Uh, it's about this this big race, the you know the rule of perception, uh, and and how he reacts to that, uh, how he how he uh, how he hmm. truly manages Ferrari as uh, a brand uh, as as his passion. Uh, in amidst all of this. Then. So if you had to pick one of the three, was this a racing movie? Was this an Enzo Ferrari movie? Or was this a Ferrari the company movie? Mm. You would say this I, is... I think luckily it avoids the Ferrari the company movie. My fear was going to be like a, you know, it was going to be boiled down to a brand movie with that. I feel like <laughs> it is an Enzo Ferrari biopic 
but in that Enzo is a you know a unique talent that he started as a racer. He is a racer at heart. Is a racer at heart. It is still about racing, and I, I think you know again compared to a lot of the racing films I watched this year. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, this this was this was a payoff for me to see like, oh wow, there there is another way <laughs> you can you can present <laughs> speed on film, uh, and that's where I feel like it it is well it, in a very good way reminded me of Mad Max Fury Road that there's a different way that you can present cars and speed on screen like the visual language yeah. of speed on screen no I like that for sure um, and that's where the style and the substance the style did have substance because that speed it may not be the fastest on the block it may not be the speed of supercars in modern day but instead it was trying to tell the dangers of 1957 and definitely the the infamy of, of this specific race I think that's where I land uh, with Ferrari a lot of this you know, this this was a tough week. <laughs> this, was, this was a lot uh, to to unpack, but I feel like Ferrari really did come out as my favorite of the week, just because again, it had more to offer. It has the the acting, it has the structure, uh, but it's going to be paying off with. Uh, dynamic scenes and exciting scenes and, and dangerous scenes on screen that earn your uh, your attention to why this story is being told in the first place. We're going to go ahead and give Ferrari an eighty on the dot. Wow, an eighty yeah, percent. Yeah, I wasn't I, I wasn't expecting that. Mm. I'm I, guessing I, I, you're I, not you're not at that level. I'm not as hot on sure. it as you. Sure, I like the movie mm-hmm. um, for sure. We definitely separate a little bit. Where I don't, I don't know. It's very very interesting. Listening, listening to your take, I, mm-hmm. I, I kind of think that the driving took more of a, a little bit more of a back seat, mm-hmm. and I was happy to see it almost. Sure, because you wanted, you wanted to know more about Enzo or what exactly? Well, yeah, I mean, again, if it's called Ferrari, mm-hmm. I want to know about. I, I want to know about Enzo, and mm-hmm. I kind of was looking for a brand. I, I wasn't looking for a brand story as of what we got in the past. Sure, sure. But I think it's a very, very interesting thing to make a biopic centered around one summer mm. in one particular particular year. Mm. It, it really works out that 1957 was the most crucial time, one for Enzo Ferrari himself. Mm-hmm. And for the company that he dedicates his life to. Sure. Besides the inception of the company, basically, mm-hmm. and it forming, this was the most important period ever for this company. And it's really why we have Ferrari the way we know it today. Yeah. Um, and it's all because of the man that this film does a pretty good job of us just telling about. Mm-hmm. We don't know the ins and outs of the before and after 1957. Sure. We don't know that much because it's about this one time period. Mm-hmm. But what's funny is the way we show the way Michael Mann presents Enzo Ferrari and in the scenes that they give him mm-hmm. and, and and through the screenplay, I kind of feel like I know more about who Enzo Ferrari is mm. than I do Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> sure, sure. You know what I mean? That's where it's, you know, there's, a, and there's an assignment and, that comes with the bio. Right, and it's and... an incredible thing, <laughs> yeah. purposely only looking at one year. Yeah. At the same time, I thought it was a beautiful piece on Ferrari, and mm-hmm. basically, like I said, not an origin story, because we're not talking about where they, the company starts, mm. but at, at the pinnacle or... Uh, I don't. Even, I forget what the word is, but <laughs> at the moment where this where this company is either going to be nothing or sure. something, yeah, absolutely. Uh, getting that is fantastic. Yep. And because the way we needed to do that was to have this huge race, mm-hmm. the way it unfolds, it, it it is great. I love seeing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just felt like I was more excited almost to see Adam Driver's next scene. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. I felt Adam Driver was so good, mm-hmm. and he was as good as he could be playing. Uh, Enzo Ferrari, I feel like. Right, like I feel like right. give, him, give him five more years, and right. I think like he's still going to be this person. <laughs> yeah. um, now, his love affair, his his then-to-be-future wife, mm-hmm. 
she was terrible, and the accent was all over the place. Yeah, I feel like accent Shailene work. Shailene Wood, Woody, Woodley. Yeah, yeah, she's from the Divergent series. She was also in um, uh, Dumb Money uh, earlier oh, this year. Okay, no, not earlier, but a few months ago. I didn't. I, I more so. I was kind of uh, in a divide of Penelope Cruz, Adam Driver, and Shane Woodley. Do not look like the real people. Oh, at okay, all, all right. You know, all what right. I mean, there was there's a degree <laughs> there of just like. I mean, <laughs> casting Penelope Cruz as uh, the wife uh, is doing the wife uh, some favors. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. These are not like uh, Hollywood-looking people. Right. Uh, but uh, other than that, that was the only thing I was really distracted by. Uh, I, okay, so there's a specific scene where they're talking about a, um, a confirmation. Mm -hmm. And it's Adam Driver just acting his ass off and <laughs> Shailene Woodley just not being able to keep up. Mm. Um, these characters also get like a zoom, a close-up, mm -hmm. and a bit of a dialogue for them to just run themselves, yep. and I don't think she could keep up, and I think her accent's all over the place. Mm, for okay. me, it was a little bit taken out of okay. uh, for that. But as far as the other performances, I think they're phenomenal. Sure, sure. And like I said, Adam Driver, for me, was the movie, mm -hmm. and I love seeing Adam Driver. I thought the cars looked cool. I mean, I, the representation of what actually happened back then and the care that Michael Mann put in, yep. it, it's all there. It, mm -hmm. Like You can feel that. But definitely just took a little bit more of a, of a back seat. And I, if I had to like rank those, racing movie, Enzo Ferrari movie, Ferrari movie, yep. um, I thought kind of like third in line was the racing. Really? Uh, okay. Which, which, Interesting. Yeah. It, yeah. But the suits looked amazing. The cars looked amazing, <laughs> suits. and the and the acts and uh, the, the acting for the most part was extremely good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think if there is a worthiness for why a single year in this man's life, where he has been the subject in many sort stories, yeah. uh, you know, in recent history for these movies, these racing style movies, it's that it goes to the fundamentals of good screenwriting. What is the most important moment in a character's life? Yeah, I feel like. Uh, this race, the aftermath of the race, uh, that puts Enzo in a very particular lens that maybe allows him to live up to some of the implied villainy as well. Right, yeah. Uh, that is with the character. Uh, and uh, Adam Driver just just knocks it out of the park. The only other note that I would say that I love the follow-through with Michael Mann, that mm -hmm. I was starting to think this a little bit more than halfway through, mm -hmm. is, you know, it, it's a movie about Enzo Ferrari and Ferrari, about the cars, the racing. Mm -hmm. uh, one really cool thing is that... Uh, Adam Driver and the character is constantly on the move. Mm. The man is not stopping. He is always <laughs> yeah. got. He always has somewhere to go yep. or to be, yep. and he's on the move. <laughs> and there's something about that where the the, the story does it, it moves along, right? Even if it's just people talking in rooms, there's an energy to it. There's an energy, yeah. and yeah. he's entering a room or exiting. He's constantly <laughs> yeah. walking in, walking out. He's got to be somewhere. Right. His he's, morning starts early. He's got to see right. the mistress. You know, <laughs> he's um, got to get back in time. For always coffee. moving. Always yeah. on the go. And I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> One last question for you. Sure. The movie's two hours and ten minutes. Mm. Okay. At any at all during these minutes, did you think about Dewey Cox <laughs> at all? Uh, no? Can't, can't say oh, I did. Wait, I almost wait. bursted out laughing. <laughs> I'm gonna qu I'm gonna quote. <laughs> I don't know if I want to say it right now. <laughs> Wrong kid died. Ne Wrong never kid came up. Died. No, it didn't. Okay, all That's right. Perfect. We'll talk about it after. Okay. That's really wrong. Um, <laughs> sorry, I really thought I was gonna get reaction out of you. I thought you. I thought we no. would have been right there with each other. Okay. 
Okay, so <laughs> especially with watching two Ecogs recently too. Eighty <laughs> uh, percent is a phenomenal score. Yeah, uh, a good a good way to end twenty twenty three. Michael Mann for you strikes again. It strikes again. Also, again, uh, don't let the don't let the uh, single digit point deviation between a lot of these top performers this week uh, yeah. drive you away from the movies. These were all excellent movies. Well, maybe not all. Yeah, not all of them. <laughs> but anything that was landing in the seventies, Maestro, Anatomy of the Fall, Poor Things, and Ferrari. Uh, Really yeah, well worth your time, and even in um, the game that uh, a lot of you know a lot of movie fans play with, just covering all that is uh, nominated for the Oscars and awards season. Don't let any of these slip by. Honestly, these were so unique yeah. and um, uh, and just so well executed upon in every one of these scenarios. So, all right, uh, Vin. So after eighty percent with the Ferrari, anything finishing notes? Um, Can't wait closing? for Rebel Moon Part Two okay. in May. <laughs> <laughs> uh, folks, next week we have the big award show. It's the Tom Dailies. Really, the only one that matters. Rent your tux. It is the best of the Oscars. The best Get of the Razzies. Sh- <laughs> Get your champagne. It's it's on. But uh, yeah, we definitely put a lot of work into it. We definitely care about it and uh, highlight things that uh, maybe we think actually deserve it. So there's no big <laughs> campaigns for us. Just what is good, what is deserving, yeah, or who is deserving. So Vin, thank you so much for watching these seven new release <laughs> movies. Uh, folks at home will run it down one more time. We have Aquaman and the Lo- and the Lost Kingdom with a 38%, Rebel Moon Part 1, A Child of Fire with a 22%, Anatomy of a Fall with a 77, Maestro with a 74, The Iron Claw with a 58, Poor Things with a 76, and finally Ferrari with an 80%. So folks, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week on the Daily Ratings podcast. <laughs> Hey, if you enjoyed the podcast, if you would, give us a good rating or tell a friend about us. If you're wondering if a film is worth a watch or just to see more movie ratings for Vince, be sure to stop by thedailyratings.com, where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films. Also, if you found value in the podcast or our site, become a producer and go to the donations tab on thedailyratings.com. You can donate whatever amount of value you feel you see from us. We're looking to build this into something large and great, folks, but we want to be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.